Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey, welcome back to Fandom Power presents The Fandalorian. This week, it's chapter 13. And once again, I'm joined by producer Andy. Hello. And Hank out in Halifax. Boyos. Good morning, gentlemen. So, chapter 13, The Jedi. This one, written and directed by Dave Filoni, has a total runtime of 47 minutes with the recap, so you're probably looking at 45 without. And uh, our synopsis... Today is The Mandalorian Journeys to a World Ruled by a Cruel Magistrate Who Has Made a Powerful Enemy. So, cool. gentlemen, before we uh, start breaking down the episode, uh, any initial thoughts? Oh, my goodness. Without giving anything away early, this episode was the first one where I've been saying every week I nearly worked the neighbors. Yeah. I, there, there was a part at the end that we'll get to where I literally stood up out of my chair and screamed with my hands above my head. And this episode almost brought me to tears and i'm going to chalk that up to me watching it at 4 a.m and being super super tired still yeah. and so therefore very weak emotionally but yeah there's a moment in this episode where i nearly cried oh that's fantastic what about you andy anything uh you got for uh sort of initial thoughts loved it <laughs> <laughs> from from two minutes in it's like let's go yeah it's, it it there's a punch there and it, the pacing just it it Starts on a high note and maybe ends on a higher note. Quite really? possibly, yeah. Certainly, where emotional tensions are concerned. There was a couple times I thought it would take a turn, but I was like, "Okay, no, all right." Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't like the Mandalorian after this episode? You should watch Picard. <laughs> I just want to remind everybody. Do you guys remember last week when I uh, had asked, "Do we think the Mandalorian is trying to redeem the sequel trilogy the same way the Clone Wars redeemed the prequels?" Yes. Yes. I so my initial thoughts today are I'm going to double down on that statement because I really think that's the direction that we're going. And I, I've got a few things uh, when we get to the end of the show that I really want to I'm going to go all meta on. <laughs> well, certainly there's been a there's a trend of recontextualizing. Yes. So and I and I don't think there's anything that's terribly like wrong with the sequels that needs, you know, redefining necessarily. But there are there are little stop gaps in the information that haven't been jumped into. And so that I, I feel like that's definitely, and especially the way they're operating from knowing the end game. And they've been doing that a lot. And yeah. then, and then being able to cherry pick the things that they want to, to use to flesh out that end game. It's, it's kind of an, it's like backwards chess and it's, I really, it's really, really cool. I mean, it's no surprise that uh, the Mandalorian is continuing that trend of especially what we saw in Rebels and to a lesser degree in Clone Wars, where the series is very happy, very content to pluck what I've always referred to as maybe some of the best elements of uh, the legends or the old EU and pull it forward and, and recanonize it maybe in a new, sometimes more exciting, sometimes less exciting, but definitely a new, uh, a new way that makes it accessible to new fans of the franchise. No, absolutely. And it makes, it gives us a reason as people who like even grew up to a certain degree with that EU stuff, a yep. reason to dip back into it. And, and like, so like there's, I, I've read more about the old Republic and the EU uh, last night than I have in probably 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself doing the same thing as I was uh, 
I was doing. So there was a few things I'm like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll make a note of that and I'll look it up after because I don't want to stop the show uh, and interrupt the flow. Right. And then once I sat down to do it, I thought I'd actually, <laughs> I actually thought I was done my show notes. And then I, there was a couple of things I'm like, oh yeah, I better look that up. And when I, when I looked it up and it hit me, I'm like, oh my God. And suddenly I had another page and a half of notes. So <laughs> yeah, this one was, yeah. I was quite, I was quite verbose. Oh my God. <laughs> quite verbose. Yeah. I have notes on paper on my computer and on my phone for this one. Yeah, like, me too. And then I had to. I basically had to pull some stuff out of a Facebook messenger chat that I was having with somebody else. Cause it was like, wait a minute. Yep. I need to talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> so. And I have a, I have a level of intestinal fortitude. I didn't know I possessed because I work with a very, very big star Wars fan. He's a really good friend of mine Yep, and he hadn't seen it. And I, I don't know how I didn't say anything, not say anything at all at all. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was almost like a, a fun game to play because it was like, I know yeah. something you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I'm that guy that, you know what, if you know it and, uh, you, you know, if you said to me, have you seen it yet? I would say no. And then you, you know, you go like, well, then I won't say anything. I'd be like, uh, yeah, you will. You're going to tell me everything. Cause it's not going to, it's not going <laughs> to change the way like, I watch it. He was kind of like, don't say it. And I was like, you should see the screenshot of my phone. He's like, no, don't, don't, no. And I'm like, oh. yeah. I flashed him Ahsoka and he was like, no, you bastard. I knew it. You know what? So that's not, you know, everybody knew that was coming and stuff. He was yeah 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 lots of backlash so i just uh, just before we start breaking the episode down uh the last couple of weeks i've been struggling with how to get to get our reach out a little bit more and so what i've taken to doing is i've been doing a preview post sort of the day before Mm -hmm. and for the last three weeks i've been tacking on photos from the episode and putting them out the night before yeah well let me tell you i shared some photos last night in our preview post and i (laughs) the backlash i received was pretty brutal on a couple of uh, I was called some nasty things. Uh, uh, uh. That being said though, the most organic reach we've ever had on a Facebook post was last night. That's awesome. So I I, I was so into the episode and, and writing my notes that I didn't even check Facebook. So I'm I'm not one of the interactors on that net that no, post. no. check out what was so divisive after. Well I mean, you won't so it was a photo. I posted a photo of Ahsoka in the in the photos that I had uh, put out and people were like, Right, it's not even twenty four hours. So and then some little colorful expletives were tossed at me. So after uh, oh, my man. after my initial kind of snicker, I'm like, Okay, I'll take the picture of Ahsoka down. But I left the other three up. Right. You know, there was right. nothing nothing revealing about them other than, you know, Hey, these are some people you're going to see, but anyway, let's, yeah. uh, let's start breaking it down and see where the, where the conversation goes. We finally make it to Caladan and we open with a shot of Corvus and you can see that it's a, it's a, like a low lying cityscape, but it's veiled in this like fog and it's kind of, it's kind of yellowy green, almost has like a noxious kind of like a burned out forest. Yeah, very Somebody much so. Be- Messed yeah, the I was, place up. I, I had my notes like pea green atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. In that initial shot, there's a factory in the background just pumping bilge like smoke. I caught that the, the second time around. Yeah. I, I really wasn't aware of it. I saw there's a, some kind of starship lifting off in the background, and that's where I'm like, oh, shiny yeah. thing. <laughs> so yeah. I missed. I totally missed quite, the factory. It's quite large, too. It's larger yeah. than some of the towns and cities we've seen so far. Yeah, and that's going to play into a point that I, I want to make later on the whole starship thing that's and the factory that's important to know because if you weren't looking and you missed the factory you may not you know it you may not connect the dots that's right but i thought corvus itself 
was really reminiscent and it's kind of peppered throughout. There's a contrast here in the environment where you have this, I I think I said it sort of pre-show to you last night, Hank, where I felt like the forest around Corvus was very much like the scene in Wonder Woman, the no man's land. Like it was this bombed out, burned, and even the like her private army, when when you see them, they look very reminiscent of like First World War soldiers with gas masks on. Right? Gas masks and yeah. these sort of rubber tunics over them. Yeah, I got that vibe for sure. I also got a strong vibe of a juxtaposition of the opening scene uh, of The Rise of Skywalker. And like yeah. you say, trying to recontextualize that, that the, the way Kylo moves through that burnt out forest, yeah. a totally different palette with reds on whites, uh, yeah. but more like brutal and and very like, you know, he's not hiding in the shadows. And no. in the opening scene, we sort of get that. It's juxtaposed. It's like a, a different way of moving through a similar environment. And yeah. so I just, I, I really got that vibe. Like they were like inverted mirrors of one another. Yeah, in a way they are. Yeah. And then so the inner, the inner city of uh, Corvus itself, I got a real like, this could have been any ancient, you know, East Asian civilization. Certainly. And there was a lot of uh, Ralph McQuarrie uh, concepts, I think, that were used in Bespin. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's like a, that, that sort of domed with a little tear in the teardrop on top oh, style buildings. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I had a different take on that. Uh, I actually thought that the, uh, I guess it's the, the temple, to me, was very reminiscent of the Bomar Monastery on Tatooine. Oh, nice. Like yeah. Jabba's Palace. Yeah, it's like, sort of like a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that aesthetic, like a pagoda. Yeah, so a uh, sprawling shot of the uh, burned out forest. There's an alarm sounding. And then we have this group of soldiers who we've never seen these guys before with their, their three quarter length coats and their gas masks are uh, rushing towards the main gate while the citizens of the, of the town are like, they're ducking for cover and they're, they're going indoors. And it's super cool how, although we've never seen this before, it, it still looks so star Wars. Yeah. And, I felt that and- way too. And the way that people have attempted to make things look Star Wars that weren't Star Wars before yeah. and have failed, it's, it's, there's an aesthetic that they've captured. Yep. And, and it's, it's, I love it. <laughs> I love it. They, they, everything looks exactly like it should. I think hats off, though, to uh, you know the production team on A New Hope who really went out of their way to take real-world objects and then adapt them to this science fantasy space opera setting. And to me, it feels like the the producers of The Mandalorian are really, they're kind of leaning into that and they're doing the same thing. Let's find real world objects that are period pieces that, you know, with, you know, some greebles can actually fit the aesthetic that we're looking for. And I think they're doing it, again, better than maybe, well, certainly better than most of the prequel trilogy did. Agreed. Necessity is the mother of invention. So, for sure it uh, is. I agree that they're, they're, and they're, you know, the budget isn't as tremendous as we, you know, as, as certainly as the billions of dollars of the movie can be, but so they're, and, and during COVID there's limitations there. So they're doing a tremendous amount. Tremendous. I know we talked about it before and I, and I just want to mention it again. It would be really interesting at some point if the numbers are floating around out there, I would love to know the, the per episode cost on one of these, yeah. because again, for a television budget, I don't think you can find a better uh, a better production value. No, it's it's crazy good. It's crazy high. I mean, it seems like it's taking leaps in episodes too. I mean, this is this is certainly equivalent with any of the films we've seen on. on oh, on, I would on, yes, easily, yeah, easily, seamlessly. 
So there's an alarm going off and it's a low, <laughs> talking about the, the disparity of technology, right? This low tech, literally like a giant tubular bell and a dude with a mallet and this is bong, 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 bong. And uh, yeah, so from atop the settlement wall, more soldiers and, the, and their uh, commander, who may or may not be a familiar face, um, uh-huh. are observing some uh, blaster fire that's veiled by the, uh, the pea soup fog and... Uh, Andy, you get a name for us? Uh, Michael Bain. Oh, my Lord. Mr. Terminator himself, Kyle Reese, Michael Bain. Fantastic. Yeah. Hicks. Corporal Hicks. I almost didn't recognize him, and I, I was looking up some uh, like like recent photographs of him, and I think it's because of the way that they've got his hair colored and the way that it's pulled back and kind of laid flat. It's just... Because at first I was like, oh, he's not aging very well. But then it's like, no, I, no, I he's all right. I said that too. I hope he doesn't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, looks yeah. Like he's, he looks like he's let himself go a little. So um, <laughs> from the fog, the camera shifts. And now we're kind of in close on these soldiers moving for the from the fog. And the show makes no... You know, no attempt to uh, to conceal. Like, they put it right out there probably within the first... Two minutes. Two minutes. Twin, intensely white lightsabers start cutting these guys down, and lo and behold, it's Ahsoka. So good. And um, her initial on-screen appearance, like, you know, all the backlash I got last night, like, all kidding aside, like, come on, guys. Like, what did you expect? Like, it's Rosario Dawson, and she looks exactly like you thought she would. Exactly. She looks exactly like all the fan art. That's uh, what that I said. Produced. Yeah. And it's like, you know, who produced that fan art? <laughs> yeah. Somebody told what was going on. I mean, it's it's pretty much empirical. She's orange. She looks like Rosario Dawson. She's yep. got the tattoos in the right place. That's right. And the headset. So, but, um, you know, she's operating like a ninja. So she's even dressed like a ninja. Yeah, very much so. She's wearing tabby. You know, if everybody knows what tabby are, they're the ninja shoes with the split toe. Yep. She's even wearing tab and she's wearing Bushido pants, similar to the stuff that Darth Maul wears in the Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. Big and baggy, but tight at the knee and down. So it's very indicative of the of samurai or ninja. And then she she's deflecting blaster bolts and, and she's very she's moving really, really well, a lot like Ahsoka. So the the actress is starting to really capture or or not even starting, like right off the hop, she's capturing the the movements that Ahsoka makes. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, this for like disappearing like Fading. into the fog and reappearing and disappearing yes. like such ninja stuff there for me. Just ah Woo. Yeah, I mean you can't tell me that those lightsabers are not a big giveaway, right? I mean when I say I mean if you've never seen Ahsoka uh, particularly if you if the only version of Ahsoka that you've ever seen was the Clone Wars, then yes. you're familiar with her fighting with green and possibly blue lightsabers and, and not her remade ones from Rebels, right. which are intensely white i mean exactly. it's like a fluorescent light tube right it, it, it is yeah so when you say like moving like a ninja well no wonder she keeps shutting them off because she needs that she has to to take advantage of the the concealment that the fog offers oh it's yeah and the, the way she utilizes it and then we get to see her use the force uh like yes. there's so much packed in that little scene in like, a couple of uh a couple of different ways too right i mean i think the first one is the is the uh you know call back to obi-wan kenobi where she perfect. she exactly. makes the 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 sound to distract one of the guards and and they of course turn for it and that that gives her an opportunity to strike again yeah and then the second time she cuts down a, a guy but through a tree 
cleaves him in twigs. Yeah, and the way that, that and then she fires does the piece it, the yeah, tree. exactly. The section of the tree trunk is now loose, and she's able to like hurl that at another troop. And it's I just love that. This... And the tree, the tree falls back onto the stump. Yes, and it still fits. And there's some and hang it, time where it just kind of sits there. Time, and then it falls <laughs> like there's a beat, and then it falls in yeah. front of her, and it's just the one saber out. And the way the wind whips her cloak, dude. Yeah, dude, that was so amazing. Like, it looked like the cartoon, but live action. So I'm going to take this opportunity. This is where I want to touch on the first sort of like philosophical, emotional beat that I got from the show, and this is something that. I'm going to talk about it now because it essentially plays throughout the entire episode right up until uh, almost the end. I really feel like this version of Ahsoka is a version that we've never seen before. And while she is the same character, you have to remember that she's been gone for an indeterminate number of years. This Ahsoka, I feel, has seen some shit. She's brutal. She's calculating. This is not the optimistic... I don't want to say kid because in Rebels, she's an adult. But even in Rebels, she was way more optimistic than she was throughout the majority of this episode. And I think that's reflected in her style. So I'm I'm cut in two parts by like a tree in this. <laughs> so I feel like so much has happened to her that, not, not broken, but like she's gone through so much by this point that she's so disconnected from the Jedi uh, and that, that she's she has her own moral amplitude now. And she's clearly she's not afraid to take lives before we saw her and she would do, you know, she would deflect blaster bolts right, and knock yeah. people unconscious and throw yeah. them around with the force. But now she's, she's executing soldiers. She was going through people like the prequel Jedi would go through droids. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the thoughts I thought. Exactly. She was yeah. cutting these guys down like they were droids. Yeah. Now they're probably slavers. They're probably despicable. Yep. But, She's not acting like a Jedi to the point where, and I'm just going to jump a micro second. Yeah, ahead, go for it. Where, where the, the the woman on the, we won't talk about her yet, but the woman addresses her. And I thought for sure when she said, show yourself Jedi, that Ahsoka's first line was going to be, I am no Jedi. Yeah. You know what? I actually thought you had said that as well, Andy. And uh, so a, a couple of people that, that knew that I was watching and reviewing had said the same thing. Like, I'm surprised mm. she didn't say that. So that's where the other side of my split tree comes in, because at no point does she correct anybody about her becoming a Jedi. She does not. In and fact, the title uh, of the episode is called The Jedi. It is called The Jedi. And right? I, we're going to get to a she point. Contemplate, that... She contemplates training the child. Yes. And I think that she's, I think she's a Jedi again. And I think that in terms of, and by that I mean, without Jedi there as a corporate entity, like the Walmart of Jedi, the thing that yep. she rejected the most yep. is gone. Yep. And so that there's a vacuum there. And yep. now, now she steps into that vacuum with what she believes a Jedi is and should always be. And therefore, I, I think she is a Jedi again. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that. I have a I have a pretty in-depth section in my notes where I want to talk about why I also think that she is still a Jedi. But it may not it may not line up with your impression perfectly. But I that's going to be an interesting uh, conversation. So to go back to um, the unnamed character that we were talking about uh, at this point, we actually do flip over back to the to the wall. And now this woman who we come to find out is the magistrate of uh, of of the planet. She has now joined uh, Michael Bain's character up on the wall and she's carrying a a cool looking spear, which is going to come into play throughout the episode. Mm. Um, The remaining soldiers 
They've lost sight of Ahsoka and they try to flush her out to no avail as she descends on each one and methodically kills them. Yeah, so approaching the wall, the magistrate tells Ahsoka that she's been expecting her. So that should be, again, my first time watching it. I didn't really pick up on that. It's like, oh, like, does she know her already? Or has Ahsoka just been here harassing her for enough time that she's come to expect her? I had that thought, too, because Bo-Katan knew where Ahsoka was and knew that Ahsoka would be there for a while. Yeah. Even able to tell them which city on which planet that she was on. Right. And some time passed because he he did a layover on Navarro. That's right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Assumedly... Ahsoka's been gathering information for a bit, at least yeah. the, the span of two episodes, you know, whatever, however long those take in, in, in reality. Yeah. And so the, the uh, Ahsoka actually says, well, then you know what I want. Again, suggesting that they have some kind of, uh, of history. Yes. So then the magistrate's like, you'll learn nothing from me. And then she proceeds to march a prisoner up onto the wall, escorted by a pair of droids, and then proceeds uh, to threaten Ahsoka by sort of dangling him and the other citizens of the the city kind of as bargaining chips where she's like, you know, these, these people mean nothing to me. And like how, how, uh, how many lives yeah, is it worth to you? The, the knowledge I have one, 10, a hundred. And I actually thought she was going to, I thought she was going to murder that guy right there on the spot as a, as like, yeah. I'm, I'm committed to my course. Are you? Well, she's like, you're going to cause so much suffering or you have, you just by violating this treaty or whatever it is yeah. we have here you've just caused so much suffering. And, and Ahsoka does the, this is another reason why I'm thinking she, she does the negotiate. She's no, no, you're already causing suffering. Yeah. They already suffer under your rule. You've got a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the so, thing. Hey, eh? one day you have one day to decide and she walks away. So yeah. this is that, like Fades. this, this lends itself to my, like, this is a much more brutal, much more grizzled Ahsoka. Like one day I'll be back. She's, she's channeling Anakin when he was leading Legion, you know, that, that, yeah. that bravado, that like, that there's a lot of Anakin in her. Except she doesn't have a clone army to back her up this well, time. There's, 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 a, there's a part where she smirks about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like this whole, uh, there's another line of dialogue uh, basically alluding to, if you don't, there'll be consequences. And I'm like, wow, that's so unlike her to, to, to make a threat like that. What consequences? Like just that ambiguous consequences and i mean and i mean and on a, just on a, another note i immediately noticed that the pacing and the way she was delivering the dialogue yeah her voice is she's got it down an octave like she's you know what i mean yeah. she's and and she's using the pay like the, the that we're accustomed to with uh ashley eckstein yeah it's nice she's doing a really really I, good job. that is one thing i picked up on immediately i thought oh she's really got it's rosario dawson but she's really and i don't want to say that she's doing an impression because i no, think that's no, not yeah. that's not what we're hearing and what we're seeing from this it, it is a, a genuine portrayal but absolutely when she I, studied the character a lot yeah yeah for sure yeah. i really she, feel like there is a speaking in a higher register to sort of to be more in line with that and then to, it's just the way she's delivering the lines and the she, she, there's a couple times in the episode where she just crosses her arms and does a little hip lean to the side. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dave, Dave Filoni's directing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so she walks away into the fog, uh, disappearing and the title card rolls. So the next scene, we have the razor crest approaching, uh, Corvus Mando says, I've, I've, uh, picked up a beacon. I'm going to start the landing cycle. And meanwhile, the child is sitting there on his seat, uh, eyeballing, what I've come to call the shift knob. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little, he's on the console at first. Yeah, that's right. Him, 
get down. Go and get in your chair. He doesn't. He he looks at the, yeah, go sit in the jump chair. We're going to start the landing approach. Yeah. And, but he doesn't right away. And he goes, what did I just tell you? Go yeah. Sit in your chair. And then the kid reluctantly does. And then okay. he uses it, right? But so that didn't bother me at all the first time I watched it. But after watching it successive times, especially with Ahsoka's stuff that comes up, yeah. it recontextualizes it that like he is more headstrong than he should be. Uh, yeah, yeah. For me, a little bit, it recontextualizes that. Like, yeah, there's an element of something there that I think that we might get into. And in there is, there's definitely something there, and and I think it lends itself to, you know, we spend an awful lot of time talking about where did we think he was intellectually, and maybe, yeah. maybe we were right, maybe we weren't. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it certainly recontextualizes something. It does. Uh, yeah. So having been told to get into his seat, he continues to stare at the knob, and finally. He uses the force and he takes it anyway. <laughs> you know, when you tell a child that they can't have something and they do it anyway. That's right. Landing just outside the city uh, in the burned out forest, there's these creatures in the background and they're eating the burned out tree trunks. And they've got this crazy, you know, generic Star Wars creature sound, which like, I can't tell you what it is. But when you hear no. it, you're like, oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, definitely. It reminded me of a Ronto. The head style is different, but in yeah, the same, sort of like a dinosaur. Mammalian well, dinosaur. Yeah, I started looking up like dinosaurs in Star Wars, and I came across a piece of artwork. And I don't, I don't think it was a concept piece. Mm-hmm. It may have been just a another interpretation, but it was like this really long legged uh, dewback. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a had a similar look. You know, every planet we visit, and there's so many in Clone Wars. Yeah. Uh, we jump around so much and they're, they're pretty much all named, but it, it would be overwhelming to put them in a list. I'm sure oh my somebody gosh. on Wikipedia has done it, but there's a beast or two or three or five or a hundred yeah. every minute. So it's, it's quite possible. The um, show does go out of its way to make sure that we get a, a look at like, you know, the flora and the fauna yeah. as if it was just, it's always been there. It's background. It's environment. Yeah. That's, that's the best thing about Yeah, absolutely. About Again, it's that lived in, Oh yeah, this is a real living and breathing place, right? Certainly. And, and um, one more thing to yeah. point there: there's a fantastic nod to A New Hope there when he's landing, as the soldier on the wall just scans him. Oh, that's the same right. way as they scan the Falcon. Coming yeah, in. yeah, at the uh, the Masasi Temple. Yeah, yeah. That was with in my notes. But the uh, wall, yes, the hand scanner, I guess. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's what it is. That's a look. It's a razor crest. Yeah. So uh, jumping off the uh, ship. <laughs> walking off the ship, Mando and the child depart for town, but not before Din Djarin's like, hey, give me that. And he takes the, oh. uh, he confiscates the knob and tucks he it into his belt. He confiscates the knob. Yeah. And it, was it disconcerting to anyone else that he just left the ramp open? Maybe it closes uh, on its own later. I don't I, know. Yeah, <laughs> well, they did the same thing in season one. They did, yeah. With, he left the ramp open quite a bit. Yeah, Quill uh, trying to get back. Yeah. ramp all the time, quickly. I mean, it used certainly as a plot device, you know, when you're you're really rooting for Queel to make it back when he's, you know, riding the Blurg. Yeah. And you can see it. It's clearly wide open, right? You're like, oh, he's just got to, all he's got to do is get there and he can close the door. Lauren, well, Lauren, my wife had a point the other day. It was, um, or, well, I guess last night. Where's the Boba Fett armor? Like, we could see right through the ship in the last oh, episode. Yeah. He gets sucked out into space, and <laughs> I'm assuming he has it locked in a locker. And she's like, what locker would be in that thing? Like, after you could see clear through it. So That's yeah. true. Yeah. There is that one compartment opens for the child. To, I was like, going to say, what about out. the, yeah. Maybe the, there's the, like a. The birth or whatever under it is. Under the yeah. bed. Uh, Maybe. You know, drawer. Yeah, could, be. could be. If the bed, the the quarters, I guess, the bunk, maybe. Because yeah. it has a door. Yeah. Maybe it, it was okay. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mando approaches the main gate and he encounters who we uh, know to become uh, is basically the captain of the guard, uh, the Michael Bean character. And he he kind of starts this bluff by saying that he's been tracking for some time and is looking for a layover to which Michael Bean's character responds. Nice armor. (laughs) Yeah, he gets the the, the, basically the three same questions he gets from everybody he meets. That's are you a Mandalorian? Yes. Are you a bounty hunter? (laughs) Yeah. Come on inside. Oh, yeah. That whole uh, bounty hunter. Yeah. Guild. Last time I checked. Yeah. And again, <laughs> yeah. just that whole Western vibe. Yes, totally. Know, once again. Totally. Yeah. Almost like Michael Bean, like later on, they, there's there's this exchange of dialogue between the two of them. And you really get this feeling like, are all the gunfighters in the Star Wars universe the same guy with a new skin? Yeah. Just you grizzled. Know? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. 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 I kept trying to look up his armor because it reminded me of something. Like I looked up Dangar's armor. Yeah. And it was very reminiscent of that, but not quite. And started to think about going back through all the different armors that they have in Clone Wars, but all because the, there's so many different factions and yeah. people that you need. So it, it became overwhelming again. So I'm just going to say that his armor looked kind of hodge. I think he had a stormtrooper pauldron on one yeah, shoulder. Yeah, maybe. But it, uh, yeah, it looked haphazard, but it, again, it looked so Star Wars. Yeah, very much. So inside the city, kind of similar to some of the other places we've seen, you know, maybe like Navarro was kind of back in season one where there's like scant citizenry on the street and everybody's kind of only this time uh, the the citizens are like they are way more cautious and they go out of their way to avoid Mando to the point where he walks up to a street vendor to try and talk to her. And she like, oh, and I'm out and yep. turns to to leave and only does he finally get someone to address him where there's the, the gentleman in the alleyway who, um, who is basically referred to as the craggy face man. I, like a lot of times. Yeah. In the descriptive. Yeah. The craggy <laughs> face man. A lot of times. Who has, he has a really interesting role throughout the whole, the whole uh, episode because he, he really, this is, he's what two spoken lines, but like he just, He's a pretty interesting character. You know, he basically says to Mando, like, don't talk to us. You He's know, the face like, of the village. It's to, yeah. to give you a, like, you can't, you can't get into backstory and how the villagers are the poor and broken down and slaves and oppressed, but you can, you can have that in one character and just have it, show it on his face, show yeah. him old and beaten and weathered. So he's the, that's, that's his role there. He's the face of that whole village. Yeah. And so that's why there's only just one character that he responds to and re- interacts. And we see at the end of the episode that they take that face of the village and, and move it way forward. Yeah, yeah, they do. In prominence, yeah. Do we have a reference for him? We do have a reference for him. He is played by Wing Tao Chow. And is there anything we should know him from? There, it's not particularly know him from, but he has an interesting connection in that he is a former Disney Imagineer. Oh, cool. And he was instrumental in Disney's expansion in China and Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, that's super cool. Heavy ties to the mouse. Yeah. Nice. So speaking to the craggy face man, he says, "I'm looking for someone," and uh, you know, clearly fearful, he tells him, "Don't, don't talk to me. Don't talk to anybody." Yeah. Don't, especially don't talk to the children. Like, yeah. You're, like you're putting us in danger, and then we see that because then the two guards show up immediately. Immediately, yeah. Tell him to go to the magistrate, and then the one guy just stares down craggy. Yeah. Like, hard. And he just kind of just. But did you notice like his reaction to that like? Auto. But it wasn't, I didn't get this vibe of like he was terrified. He just kind of like nodded and kind of averted his eyes like, okay. Yeah. And just kind Almost of. Almost like it's like a forced submission. Like I'll, I'll show yeah, you Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's what it's expected. Yeah. Yeah. 
So approaching the inner gate, we start heading in towards the, that inner gate, and we see that there are some citizens who are being held prisoner uh, on what I've, I've called them, because uh, I don't know what they are. I called them like an electroshock tower. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I think I had an electro cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at first I thought, oh, they have to balance themselves there, and if they touch those the bands, they get the shock. But the descriptive video said it just shocks them at intermittent periods, so... Yeah. Who knows? But I did like the visual that I got from that with the uh the X ray. Yeah. So I mean mm-hmm. that's like Throwing force that. lightning uh yes, level, level electrocution, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. As they're passing through the gate, you can hear one of the, the prisoners and she's like, She'll kill us all. Well they beg him to save them. Yeah. They don't care yeah, who yeah. he is. <laughs> they don't care who he is. Yeah. So he passes through the inner gates. There's an in, sort of an antechamber there, and then that opens up to this like lush garden with the pond and the bridge and the trees. Even the air is clearer. In that. Yeah, did you, yeah. Did you notice that? I I I was presuming like some sort of like atmosphere scrubber right 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 around there. It. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that there might even been a touch, a tinge of blue sky. Yeah, really. Yeah. And then we Definitely. see the the central structure there, and that's where I thought, oh, that reminds me of uh, Jabba's palace, right? Only on a much smaller scale, right? And uh, I got the you get that samurai or or martial arts movie feel with the, oh, yeah. the pond and the long bridge. Yes, and the sentry guard at the end, and everybody's sort of dressed uh, in in uh, samurai style. You know, cross yeah. you know multiple layers crossing over, just like you know, similar to the Jedi. For you young kids, that means like a Kill Bill movie. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> the first one, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So standing there on the bridge, uh, feeding an unseen fish is the magistrate and uh, her two her two uh, droid guards stand behind her. So there's an interesting uh, exchange here between the two of them. Oh, I guess we should uh, introduce her, right? We don't have her actual name yet, but we can introduce her, the sure. actress. Uh, Diana Lee Inosanto. Yeah. And she is a been in a ton of stuff as far as stunt work goes. She's very versed in all that. Yes. But an interesting tidbit, she is the daughter of Dan Inosanto, who was a training partner of Bruce Lee. Oh, Bruce that's Lee's cool. first student in North America, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I see. I had she no idea. She actually really swing that spear around, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well. So she's well suited for it this It certainly looked credible to me. <laughs> yeah. There's, she even does, when she hands it over, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but she does these little hand flares. Yeah. This little like ceremonial stuff with her hands. It's very subtle, but as she's handing it to him, there's quite a bit going on with her hands. Yeah. So again, going right back to what you said, Hank, about the same three questions, she questions him, you a Mandalorian? <laughs> and uh, yeah. So she says that she's got a, a, a problem that's been plaguing her for a while and, and basically says, I want to hire you to kill a Jedi. And he kind of is like, you can't afford me. Yeah, uh, my price is steep. She's like, well, it's a task for what you're well suited to. And makes a reference to the Jedi being the uh, the historical right. uh, enemy of the Mandalorian people. And he doesn't actually, you know, he doesn't positively affirm, okay, I'll take the job. No. All he says is, where can I find this Jedi? Which is perfect because, hey, he's here to find the Jedi. So, yeah. hey, if I had someone that was just going to tell me where to go... Perfect. I'll I'll take your whatever and to my own purposes. I kind of like the way he inspects the weapon, clangs yeah. it off his bracer, and you get this ping. And so that ping tells him it's Beskar. And yeah, the way she says, she even like she rolls the R in Beskar. Yeah, and uh, 
we actually, if you look back at the first episode, the uh, thug in the bar that he beats up, he rolls his R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best guy. Best bar. And uh, so it's kind of neat, like that. Yeah. So I just thought that was cool, like an accent. Uh, a lot of people speak in hutties and things of that nature. Yeah, it's cool though that that's how she wants to pay him. Though she wants, she basically offers him this spear as a form of payment, stating that it's you know it's pure, pure. Beskar, right? Like your armor. Mm. So that's kind of cool because again, this this spear it's going to come back in a major way towards the end of the episode, and it may actually there may actually be some foreshadowing with that, um, but we'll get to that when we get there. And of course, throughout the whole. <laughs> This whole encounter, the child, because he's still the child at this point, is kind of hunkered down on his like hip satchel, just kind of watching, right? So though all of it is unspoken, Mando understands that Ahsoka is obviously the Jedi that you know she wants uh, uh, wants him to kill. So leaving the city by foot, <laughs> he's standing at the gates, with Michael Bane's character, and he's about to leave, and <laughs> the child starts like doing his little thing, right? And he just <laughs> kind of looks over. What's that? <laughs> and uh, Mando's response, I thought it was, it was pretty priceless. If you're, you know, just kind of downplaying, he's like, I keep it around for luck. <laughs> uh, you're you're going to need it where you're headed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we get another long, this is a, a long establishing shot of the depth and destruction to just how far the, the burn, I call it the burned out forest because I don't know what else to call it, but like, it's miles in every direction. Like you were looking into the mountains and they are just barren. Yeah. I was thinking too, cause when you, again, on successive watches, as they're approaching the planet, you see rims of fire around like a large area of the planet. And you're wondering, I was thinking, are those like lava? lava yeah. I was wondering the same thing. Or, but then I thought in terms of what we see there, those might be the edges of the of fire forest still fire. burning. Yeah. 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 See them from space. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I wonder if that's inspired by, you know, the California wildfires. Maybe. It could be. It could be. Yeah, really. So there's a quite a bit, there's a quite a bit of walking and, and just Mando making his way and kind of over rock and under branch and just making his way. And again, like I'm just, it really gave me that no man's land vibe where it's like he's cautiously like he's looking everywhere he steps and finally he kind of gets to where he's going and the, the camera pans up. And if you weren't paying attention, you may have missed it, but the owl sitting in the tree. The owl. Yeah. And apparently so, that owl's got a name, but I don't, I don't know it. Uh, I don't know it either, but I have to deep dive on the owl there because it's, it's super significant in terms of Ahsoka's character. So exactly. It, it uh, it's almost like her familiar. Yeah. And for the people who aren't familiar with the deeper lore or, or even with, with the stuff that went on in, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, but it appears a lot when she appears, and it's it's sort of after a point in her life that's really important. But it it, it it's flying overhead while she's dueling Vader in Rebels. Um, it's flying overhead of Vader when Vader discovers her discarded lightsaber. Yeah. In uh in the last moments of the Clone Wars series, and most importantly, it's it's the familiar of the sister from Mortis, and you'll recall that. Ahsoka dies in that episode. She dies in that episode, and the sister puts her life force into her That's and brings right. her back to life. And then the owl starts to follow Ahsoka. Yeah, Ahsoka. That's, that's right. Is the sister? Oh, right, right, right. 
Oh my God. I need to go back and watch that again. Bro. It's so like, this is why Filoni dropped that uh, drawing of Ahsoka with Gandalf. Yeah. Ahsoka the white question mark. Ahsoka the white. Yeah. And, and another, like, this is a little deeper sort of maybe reaching a little more, but Ezra pulls her through the portal from a world of another worlds. Yeah. She's, she's been resurrected twice by the force. Yeah, really? She's she is a bomb bad character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bomb bad. Wow. Sorry, that just kind of threw me because now I'm like really got to go back and rewatch those because I'm just like, yeah, I I'm vaguely aware of that, but now it's like, oh yeah. Hearing a noise, rustling uh, off to the side, uh, the Mando sets the child down on a rock, and he sets out to investigate, but he doesn't get uh, very far before he is set upon, and again, it's. With this unbridled, like she's she's fully invested. Like there's no question that she's out to kill him, and end it yeah. correctly. Yeah. Any other character is dead in that first strike. Well, here's this is the this had me kind. Of, this was my squeal like a kid moment. You know, we talk a lot about the uh, the West End games, the role playing game, and some of the the older lore. And mm-hmm. we'd always ascribe to the notion that Mandalorian armor was lightsaber resistant. That's right. Uh, it turns out that's true. <laughs> that's yeah, very true. true. Very true. Um, yeah. Barehanded takes her on, deflecting multiple blows from both of her sabers, like, <sighs> and adeptly doing it. Oh, man. I, I can't say enough about this. It, it was like speed chess, the way that they, like, so there's like three strikes, three three strikes and three parries that she, yep. she attacks and he's on the defensive, but he blocks three times. Then he sets, he launches his flamethrower and she backflips out of it. And that's, that's the uh, a reverse attack and the reverse parry. And yep. then he immediately hits her with the tether and she immediately jumps over the, the branch and pulls him up. And he immediately like, so everything is like a response action, response action. It's like speed yep. chats. They're, they're like equally matched till they hit the ground. He's got the blaster on her. She's in her classic stance, like the, the form five with the reversed saber. With the yeah, the short one reversed. And and he gives the line. Yeah. Um he's he yells at her, you know, Ahsoka Tano, Bo Katan sent me. And then she stops. I need to talk to you. Right. And she's like, I hope it's about him. And she just like totally looking right through him at the child sitting on the rock. Just one last point on that that fight, I have to say, like initially when I was, I was going to lead off today's episode with my initial thoughts of star Wars is better with lightsabers, uh-huh. <laughs> which is true, it's but true. I have to say this to my way of thinking, this is bar none, the best unarmed combat we've seen from the Mandalorian in the series. Absolutely. This is, this is everything. The fight between Obi-Wan and Django should have been an attack of the, clones. yeah, it really is. Yeah. 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 So yeah, fully canonizing the legends nature of Mandalorian armor being lightsaber resistant, which we always hoped it would be, and just I think I proof, if yeah, not proof. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's not really a lot of exposition in that moment where the scene kind of shifts and it's it's later at night. And uh my god, I almost had this like it's almost like the uh you know when you're when you're when someone's expecting, you know, like expecting a baby. And yes. then there's like the delivery room and then the dad's outside uh-huh. pacing back and forth. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> they got this, like that's dad, you know, he's really, he's nervous. He doesn't know what to do. So he's just pacing back and forth. And then off in the background, 
we have this kind of like this is where things start to shift a little bit for for Ahsoka where like she's commu- she's obviously communing with him there's no yeah. other way to describe that i mean yes. w- without the descriptive video it's like oh she's she is communing with him through the force that's right so after the 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 commune is over you know they share a moment where she it's almost like there's an understanding there because she has this like slight nod. She smiles and then picks him up and then they, they all come together to talk. And this is where we get our next big reveal of the series. And uh, the child has a name and uh, she tells him, you know, that uh, his name is Grogu. 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 And at first I was like, that's dumb. But then I kind of, you know, I, I it, it grew on me the more I watched it. And then we watched it again, and it I'm grow, like, grew on me. it did. It grew good on me. It growed. Yeah. Oh, it bad feels jokes. like a hut name. I can't remember what. I think it's Gorbo. I think the oh, baby yeah. hut is Gorbo. I, I, I mean, I didn't look it up or anything, but it feels real close to that for me. It's it's alarmingly close to Goku. Oh yeah. In fact, I'm a, I'm scared. I'm going to actually call him Goku in the episode because <laughs> I've, I've I've talked about that quite a bit with my wife. The people that I talked to last night, they were like, oh, so he's got a name. And I, and I was like, it sounds better when you add the word master to it. Yeah, master Grogu. <laughs> but also, if you break it down, like in minutia, like we always crazy do. And we will. What grows out of goo? Uh, Clones. Oh, that's true. That's so true. But then we get this like crazy exposition piece where Ahsoka goes into like his origin, his history, because he's like, you can understand him. And she's like, in a, in a way, yeah. But then so she goes into this like, lines. you know, he was he was raised on Coruscant in the Jedi Temple during the Clone War. And then by the, you know, so that suggests that he was a Jedi initiate. Like we saw that scene in Attack of the Clones where Yoda has the the scene of younglings and they're all just kind of doing like really simple like lightsaber form practice when you're an initiate before you're even a padawan you're like the younglings they they, they eventually get chosen by a that's master. right sometimes they're brought in by a specific master and then they they, they get first choice of that padawan yeah and she says that he's been training with many jedi masters for years well so i mean i did the math i went back and did the math so Anakin is 10 years old when he joins the Jedi Temple in yeah. 34 BBY. Yes. The child is seven years old at that point. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't know if the child, like, so you could read it like he was raised at the temple as being he was maybe born there. Yep. But most of the children are brought to the temple upon being identified shortly after birth. Right. So we have to assume that him and Anakin were peers. At some point, they could very point. well have been. When, when Anakin is uh, training as a Padawan under Obi-Wan in yeah. Attack of the Clones, Grogu is 17 years old. So Anakin Gro- is a special case, though, because Anakin was never an initiate. He went right from joining the Order to having, right. a, ma- to having a master and a Padawan, a being a Padawan that's learner. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm going to say that they, they, they've definitely encountered one another because it, it, it sort of matters about what she says. It's in, completely reasonable on. that they've crossed paths somewhere. And then he's 22 years old at the end of the Clone War. Right. Right. So he's, you know, he spent ostensibly 22 years with the Jedi. Quite a bit of that, maybe that first bit was him not being able to cross, you know, like being so infantile that he couldn't, you know. She says he studied for years. He's had more time since that. Yeah. Uh, so if we, if we cut his life in half, 
he spent more time without the tutelage of Jedi than with the tutelage of Jedi. Right. And, and now he's using the force instinctively. She says yeah. that he hides it for protection. Yep. But we always see him use the force for personal gain. Yes. Personal and gain. That is, that is a, well, that's a, an uneducated force users take because without being constantly reminded yep. that you shouldn't stray into the self-serving that's right. nature of the force. So it, it really, really deepens him a lot for me. And it, yep. and it brings back that question of his alignment because uh, like she says, the most powerful thing there, she says, you know, a fully trained Jedi can succumb to these emotions and the best of us. And she's right there without saying his name. We yep. all know she's talking about it. Of course Anakin's we know. Childhood. We know that for sure. I want to talk a bit more about the initiate thing. And, and this kind of goes back to that whole, the minutia of what we've pulled out of other sources and the role-playing game again, in its many forms, like you said before, initiates would be identified. And Qui-Gon Jinn actually says it in the film that he would have been identified and, and, Kids are essentially taken from their families shortly after birth if they are yes. identified. Yes. So they, they go into this, we'll call it the initiate pool because that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Until they're selected. And some never get selected. Right. Some yeah. never get selected. They never become Jedi and they go off and they, during the height of the Republic, the Jedi had s several sub-organizations like the Agricultural Corps and yeah. the Science yeah. Corps and, and they would go off and do other security forces yeah and there right made lunches at the temple and there was custodians and there was all these low level force workers uh yeah. that were in these positions of of uh you know like uh not customer service but in like infrastructure yeah yeah, yeah. The, jedi, the jedi world was was vast before so let's talk about his age a little bit again and i don't want to spend too much time on it because there's a whole lot more to get through but like we had sort of agreed that he was intellectually around 18 months and I still think on some level that's true, but now you have this whole other layer where, like you say, she's like, she said that he's, he's spent a lot of uh, his life hiding his, his abilities in order to survive. But she also makes a, um, she makes a statement about his memory goes dark. Yeah. Now, is she referring to dark as in like, it's just, he can't remember or dark as in like the dark side. So there's couple of ways i've been thinking about this yep i thought just this she pauses after the word dark so i like and then she says that he was hidden during order 66 yeah somebody somebody taken order. somebody had uh, gotten him out of the temple right so but which she's it's two different parts there's a pause there. there's a little long pause like a yeah beat. So she says he was hidden yeah to me that sounded like they were trying to protect him but then she says someone took him from the temple and that didn't seem like protection to me, and then after that, his memory goes dark. Yeah. To me, that sounded like somebody took him, and 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 if darkness is taking him, that leads me to believe that he was in the possession, of, if not Sidious himself, the Empire. There's also the uh, an option like if if we look at sort of Star Wars, like a, a place where we could turn the lights out and then turn them back on. Yep. Um, he could have been in like in a carbon freeze or stasis or something where he had no effective memories. Oh, that's entirely possible. Uh, too, my, yeah. my brain just starts racing with all these yeah. possibilities. But my leading possibility is that at that moment, he was taken from the temple by the forces of darkness. Interesting. And uh, some of the people in my little intermediate circle even think that he might have received some sort of, you know, education in the dark side. Yeah. That's not entirely So I went the other way. Mm -hmm. And I, I started looking at 
and, and I didn't, I didn't look as deep as maybe I should have and, and maybe will when we're done this conversation, but it's like of the, the Jedi, the name Jedi that we know are canon, how right. many of the, of how many of them survived the purge and how many of them were on Coruscant when it happened? Right. That's a very short list. It's a super, super, that short is a list. super short list. So yeah. it, the leading, the leading fan, well, not the leading, but a prominent fan theory that's been going around and, and there's been sort of this fan campaign for it to happen is what if Mace Windu survived? What if uh, Mace certainly. Windu survived his encounter with the emperor? And what if, what if Mace Windu smuggled him out of the temple? That's a good thought. We, I mean, we'd all love to see that Sam Jackson has yeah. been leading the charge with like, uh, I'd love to play Mace Windu again. Yeah. We know that we've seen Jedi certainly survive worse than Mace Windu got there. Um, you know, certainly every other Jedi has a missing limb. And <laughs> yeah. we've seen them fall from tremendous heights, land on their feet, and then take out a Star Destroyer. That's right. So it's a possibility. But at the same time, you could pick any random Jedi there and say, oh, they survived the purge. And they, you know, I think the librarian is a good candidate. The, yeah, that would be one of the leading ones because she did survive the purge and, and she Vader, was Vader featured. Vader kills her in the comic. Yeah, she she got featured down. a little bit later on, like you say, in the comic book. So she, she has might... a cool weapon in the comic. She has a gun that's a light that fires lightsaber bolts. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a cool weapon. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really curious to see if that if the, if we're going to get any sort of callbacks to that as the series goes forward like i definitely want to know more more about his origins but at the same time going back to some of the things we've mentioned on previous episodes it's like yoda's species is probably the last great mystery in star wars that's never been unraveled and part of me wants it to stay that way you could really link this to the obi-wan show by having the character that rescues him be obi-wan and really start to weave the threads together yeah 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 easily easily i love this scene in the sense that while she's going through all this exposition and and telling us about his name and his origins and she goes on to say like i've only ever known one other person of his species and as she says that a portion of yoda's theme is woven into the score absolutely it's just so touching to hear like oh that's really nice i forgot to during the scene where she's communing with him no uh just confronting the magistrate yeah Uh, she has a, a theme with anakin Oh, and the, the Anakin and her theme is playing while she's confronting the. Uh, there's a lot of jo, uh, John Williams music in this episode, actually. Yeah. The very end is very prominent section of yeah. John Williams music. Although it's, I think it's redone by Gornson, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yoda's so... theme. Well, and then as you see the fan uh, out, outcry about Yaddle being left out of the continuity. Well, uh, that, that's another thing that I read too. Like, yeah. this is more fan just like fan speculation where like people are still holding a candle for it could be their child. Could be. There's a line by Pelly in season one where she says, if it ever pods or, or divides. Yeah. And Lauren, Lauren had said, perhaps it's like gremlins. Like Yoda just popped out a version of himself (laughs) one day and said, well, I guess we're going to train. Like maybe it happens to that species every six Maybe how they, maybe it's only one and they just keep popping. Like maybe he popped Yaddle out. She does die in legends before ahsoka is discovered by the order yeah because uh, she goes from being she goes from being on the jedi council and the phantom menace to completely absent in the other two films that's what she dies yeah she she dies in the comics in between it's not canon but in between the phantom menace and attack of the clones yeah uh she she dies 
saving uh, other Jedi in some heroic fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read something to that effect too, where like her her death was pretty epic when like yeah, very was, heroic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So if people are bitching about that, she's dead before Ahsoka could have known her. And so Ahsoka is talking about personal experience there. I only knew I only knew one of his species. So there's a little more exposition about uh, Mando going on about how my my uh, task was to bring him to a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ahsoka is very quick to point out, well, you know, the Jedi Order is gone. It's the first time that we've had the Force extrapolated on a couple of times in the in the seasons. We've had people say, "May the Force be with you." Yeah, Mando never responded in kind because he doesn't know what the frig that means. Yep. But um, this is the first time when she even drops the Obi Wan line. It's an energy field created yeah. by all living things. And That's right. That's her own spin on it. But this is the first time we've had the Force qualified for us. Yeah. And for therefore brand new listeners. In the in the series, his powers are yeah. That's right. By the force. Yeah, yeah, we know it's the force, but he doesn't, right? right? Like that's she, right. she so, even says, it. "Can he still wield the force?" And he's like, "You mean his powers?" Exactly. Yeah, these are magical wizards, as far as that's right. Concerned. They're space sorcerers. That's right. <laughs> uh, so she's like, uh, "The the whole thing, the the order is gone," and then he counters that. He's like, "Well, so is the empire, but they still hunt him." very good you know very, so like that gets her in the feelings too she she that, that that does turn her introspective about the nature of the state of the galaxy right now it does it does and i feel like again going back to like this brutal character brutal ahsoka as i i'm sort of referring to her throughout the episode up until this point we now see some of that a little bit of that shift certainly she's softening a bit it's a, it's a, a much more brutal world I, I i find her a lot more like qui-gon or Mace Windu than, than other, you know what I mean? Like the, the, yeah. the, the sort of the grayer. I feel like she's on the edge. Yeah. I do and feel she like she's more indicative of that. Sorry, her cloak, her gray cloak. Yeah. Her gray cloak. Yeah. It's almost, a, that's almost a little too on the nose, you know, here, wear a gray cloak, but I'm going to, I'm going to poke a hole in that here in, in the next couple of minutes. Okay. So it's like, he needs your help. And she finally acquiesces. She's like, okay, I'll test him in the morning. So, I really love this next this next part where they find this portion of the forest that started to regrow, and I am immediately like, "Oh, this is like our nod to Dagobah." Yeah, a hundred percent. Everything yeah. is covered in green moss. Yeah, very alive. They 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 push back the pea soup effect a little bit to give it a clear sort oh, yeah. of atmosphere here. Yeah, it's beautiful. Entering the mossy clearing, similar to the clearing on Dagobah, Ahsoka uh, conducts a simple test, levitating a rock to Grogu, and then asks him to send it back. And of course, he's just, I think this is where we get into that, going back to, he's still a kid, and like he's just like, whether it's just the obstinance of like, no, I don't want to do it, or a genuine, he doesn't understand, but she's already, you know, she's already established that they can understand each other. So to me, this is him just as a kid, like, no, I don't want to listen to you. He's just being the bratty little kid and, and drops the rock. It's right after she says that he's been protecting himself by hiding his abilities. That's right. He turns inward a little bit, almost as if that's kind of what makes him turn inward. Well, and then she... You know, the fact that it's a defense mechanism. She, ha- she, Ahsoka, has the Yoda line where she says, I sense much fear in you. Yes he's hidden his abilities to survive. And so she's and like very similar to Cal Kestis. Cause when we yeah. meet Cal Kestis in the Jedi fallen order game, he's been hiding his ability for years as well. That's right. Although he was in terms of training, he was much further along than, yes. than Grogu yes. is great. 
interesting way though how the the game and this is just an aside to that but uh, as i'm looking at the uh, i've got a big poster for the game here in the in the studio but um the way that his his force powers are unlocked through a series of of, mm, of flashbacks memories and stuff yeah really Love cool it. maybe we'll see something like that with grogu as well yeah. where and we that game to... folk is very very important towards the end of the episode actually yeah 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 it's a big big nod to that game so she says to mando come here and she's like we'll see if he, we'll try it again but we'll see if he'll do it for you and uh he's like okay so picks up a rock and he's like okay kid and she she just kind of saddles around and she just looks up at him grogu <laughs> it's his name okay grogu and as soon as he says it he immediately the head snap abadu where he and I feel like he says the word i feel like he says it back to you him you feel like he's parroting it back yeah like, grogu yeah I, yeah I can't even do it but it's it's twice he does it twice it's the same sound and it could be just a coup but it it's 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 almost like a very quick and it's, with his own accent, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching. It's definitely a, a recognition, like a like, uh huh, like you're talking to me. Uh, it's like when you say a dog's name, and yeah. you know, you know, a dog does not speak English. They They're perk English. up though. They just yeah, perk exactly. up, and the head, the head snap, and the huh. You're talking to me. Exactly. So he's trying to get him to take the rock. He won't take the rock, and. Mando kind of has a almost like a, a frustration, frustration moment where he pitches the rock behind him. It's like, see, and she. she well, so kinda, I wonder where the kid learned that then. I, yeah, ooh, yeah, you know what I mean. I I got that immediately. He went. He's frustrated. I'm I'm not playing with this rock. I wonder where the kid got. Yeah, that exactly. Well, and that again, the whole psychology of learned behavior, right? Exactly. Exactly. So she gently says, you know, try to connect with him, and you know, I'm thinking. Wow, she's going really meta on him, telling him to dig down like that. But his way of doing that is like, oh, wait, I conveniently have the shift knob in my belt. So for me, there's a little beat before that yeah, where I go, try to connect with him. And he just stares at the kid and the kid stares at him. Yeah, And because we hang on the kid and then there's a nod, what the Mando gives a little, just a tight, yeah, tiny nod. Okay. And it made me feel like the kid reached it. They connected through the force and the kid was like, Give me the knob. <laughs> Maybe. I really got the impression that they connected psychically and that the kid communicated, I'd do it for the knob. Because he nods his head almost in recognition to what the child, to, to staring in the child's eyes. So what I about. I really got that impression. Let's look at the other side of that coin. What if it was the kid looked at Mando and telepathically instructed him, give me the that, knob. Literally, that's that's almost... The, the mind trick. That's almost the mind trick I was yeah. thinking. I, I honestly got that a little bit. I did, yes. I don't think Din Djarin is a weak-minded individual. No, but he's trying to... He's trying... Yes, he's opening himself to the idea right, of... Yeah, right. For sure and he so is. It's, instead of a mind trick, it's more like a communion where it's like, here's the knowledge you seek, you know, and yeah. there's no, yeah, yeah. it's not like the torture Kylo Ren's pulling the information out of your brain. It's like an exchange. What's the information you're looking for? It's right on top. Here well, it is. Ahsoka even sets the tone for that at the beginning of the scene by, you know, kind of doing the, the little, let's see what uh, knowledge is in that little brain of yours. Right. Right. Yeah. So totally, I totally buy into it either way. I just think the whole idea of, you know, we've seen, We've seen the child have capacity to do harm where he, he force chokes Kara. 
That's right? right. So like, you know, all of the fan speculation that he may be like this character who's on the edge and that maybe he is acting a little bit more beyond his years. And it's an act for, for us as the viewer to maintain his, his anonymity in the galaxy. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Possible. If his powers are fading after having not used them for 30 years, he's friggin' powerful. Well, yeah, that's where I'm at with it too. <laughs> so there's this, the, I sense much fear in you. He's hidden his abilities to survive. We go through the test and finally Ahsoka's like, I can't train him. And so this is where I said, hold on to that because you're of the opinion that she's a Jedi again. And yeah. I am too. And this is, this is where it becomes very apparent to me. Even though Ahsoka left the order, she's, she goes on to say the whole exposition about her understanding of what fear can do to a Jedi to the best of us. Yes. That clear reference to Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. And she's like, I am not going to, I'm not going to start him down that path where that can happen. So right off the bat, she's actually giving into her own fears. She's embraced her own fears, but she's embraced it from the the pragmatic, dogmatic view of the Jedi that the dark side is evil. You can't go to the dark side. You can't be in the middle. So she still ascribes to the dogmatic practice of the Order by her refusal to train him. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. So let's let's look for another character and recontextualize the sequels again. Yeah, sure. Luke Skywalker in a pinch. She is? The Jedi Order has to end. Yes, the Jedi Order has to end with her. I'm not going to train him. I'm not going to subject the the universe or the galaxy or another single living sentient being. Oh yeah, the yeah, yeah. Of the dark side. Yeah, the Jedi Order has to end with her. Yeah, the Jedi Order has to end with Luke Skywalker. It has to become something else. It, it oh, it totally does. What it was. It totally does, and I, we're we're going to get to that in spades here coming up here fairly shortly. But I agree with you, and certainly the the sequel trilogy tries to show us that that there's an evolution there you know ray and her in her mary sunus uh i think they really tried with her and and succeeded on some level but again going back to the mandalorian as a as a as a recontextualization for the 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 sequel trilogy hmm. we're going to get to some stuff that really digs in on that um, for me there's a there's a little importance to the way that the the child or or grogu takes the ball from Mando compared to the way that Ahsoka sends the rock to him. Oh, there's she a huge it, difference. She yeah. Does it with finesse and deliverance and gentleness and, and he without control. Oh, yeah. And so control is important for the people that don't know the game very well. They break the game into force powers into very confined sort of, you know, and one of the, the most important ones and the first one that you're supposed to learn is control. And so when he, you know, he has impulse force abilities. He he steals cookies. Yeah. He, in in a moment, he could stop a um a, a mud horn or you know or a mud horn. Yeah. Uh, so he hasn't he he hasn't learned control, which is the first thing that a Padawan learns. Yeah, I think on some level he's a, he I don't want to say operates, but when he uses the force, 
it's almost always with an emotional context, right? Yeah. You know? And, and, and you could take it a step further because even when he's healing people, yeah, it's self-serving because these people are keeping him safe, right? Sure. Yeah. I think, I think where it comes like with the whole relationship to the Mandalorian, like the whole choking out of, of, uh, of Cara Dune was you're hurting my dad and yes. I need he's- to protect my dad. And exactly what Ahsoka says right here is he's formed an attachment yep, and that's going to cause anger and fear. Yep. And therefore I can't train him. Right. So I just want to. seen in Clone Wars, an angry version of Yoda is oh, a yeah. formidable beast. Yeah. So I just want to, I want to, I want to put this up against another character in Star Wars who maybe was in the same position and went the other way. And so. Right. I feel on some level, Ahsoka is actually showing the restraint that Obi-Wan should have shown when it came to training Luke. Whereas Obi-Wan threw caution to the wind and he took Luke under his wing. And he says later, he's like, I took it upon myself to train you as Yoda had had trained me. And Obi-Wan admits his failure in that. Whereas Ahsoka is like, I have the wherewithal to know that I'm not the right person for this. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Again, though, different motivations, right? Yes, yeah, the same conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's, she ends the whole thing by saying that, you know, it's better if we just let, if he just lets his abilities fade. Um, Which is something I was aware could happen. I didn't It never realize. occurred to me that your force abilities, just like, you know, uh, they talk about past life memories. And yeah. uh, you know, if they're, if they're, if they're a real thing, little children can experience them. And then as you get older, they, they, they fade away. Yeah. And so it, it kind of reminded me of that and never ever occurred to me that using the force would be like using a muscle. And if you never did it, uh, eventually you would lose muscle memory. Eventually you'd use, lose muscle mass. Eventually you wouldn't be able to perform to that task to again. Oh, that makes sense. But then again, I never thought that, you know, you could turn yourself off. I didn't realize it was a light switch that you could just go click. Right. We do do understand that again, recontextualizing the sequels. We do understand that Luke physically cuts himself off from the force. That's what I mean. Like I didn't think that was a thing either until we saw it in the movie. That's right. Yeah. Again, though, you know, the role-playing games, which love to dig down on this stuff though. Like one of we talk about, you know, how did the, how did Jedi stay hidden? And, and there's that force ability where it's, um, oh, I can't remember what they call it in the game, but essentially allows the, a character to conceal their, their, yeah, like their force abilities. Cloak aura or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the idea, it's not a new idea. It's just a different form, I guess. That's right. That's right. But Ahsoka, at this point, she wants to turn her attention back to the task at hand, which is, she gave the magistrate one day to make a decision. So she's decided, uh, oh, she asked Mando, did you see any prisoners? And I was uh, sent to kill you. Oh, yes, I was sent to kill you. Well, did you see any prisoners? Yes, I saw some prisoners. We have to free them. Mm-hmm. And uh, That's good old Ahsoka. Yeah. That part yeah. is good old Ahsoka. I, yeah, absolutely. So then, in, you know, true Star Wars fashion, it wouldn't be Star Wars without a double cross. Only this time it's our title hero. Who's going to double cross the magistrate? And, Fantastic uh, line here too. Uh, Jedi teaming up with a Mandalorian. They'd never see it. They'll coming. never see it coming. Fantastic <laughs> line. Yeah. And it's, and it's played very well too. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the, they, they come up with a plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as they're walking back into town, he starts basically giving her like a tactical briefing or uh, like a rundown of what he's yeah, encountered. Um, she says it's a small, a small army of soldiers armed with a three fifty seven blaster rifles, 
a pair of HK-87 assassin droids. From Clone Wars. And a hired gunfighter, a Reed's ex-military to me. Mm-hmm. The HK-87s, I thought was a callback to Knights of the Old Republic in the uh, sense that uh, HK-47, the playable droid character. That's true. That's very true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just thought it was cool because HK, Hunter, Killer, and they are assassin droids. Absolutely. The heads are a little different, but the bodies are are very similar. So very cool similar. little nod there. Uh, kind of neat that the droids had clothes on. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. But again, that whole, I don't want to say Japanese, but maybe that whole Japanese aesthetic. Certainly where Japanese aesthetic. Yeah, certainly. yeah. Yeah. Where there's like almost ceremonial mm-hmm. garb, really. Mm-hmm. Only in this case, the droids is very functional, right? I started to think too, because there's a, a, I don't know if I want to get into it now. There's a line coming up, but I started to think that there might be some significant to the color oh. palette that the uh, magistrate and her soldiers and her, especially the, uh, her, the, the robots and the captain of the guard have, and that's that deep burgundy. Okay. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So then Mando's like, you want to say something? Maybe? I missed a beat earlier. Uh, I don't know if it's significant or not, but uh, the droid, as he's Mando first walks into town, yeah, there's a really old droid who looks like a beat up old oh, droid yeah, walking yeah, in the yeah, background. Yeah. Uh, we've seen him before. He's got a, oh my God, what, where do we see him? He's kind of white. He's got a long, narrow head. He almost looks yeah, like, yeah. Um, almost looks like the guys from the uh, the banking clan or the. He, he's uh, on my, my screen. I can't. Yeah, see I can't think of. I have all the original, my uh, screenshot on my computer is all, or my home screen or whatever it's called is all the original Star Wars figures. I'm looking at him right now, but his name is so small, I can't see it. It's not EV-99. No. It's it's a white. He's right beside EV-99. It's a white droid. Yeah. Almost like very like humanoid featured face. Yeah. I can't remember what he is though. Um, He's the torture droid and he's the one that pulls down the, uh, that is EV-99. That's the... Is that EV-99? Yeah, we saw him as the bartender on uh, Tatooine. It's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm an expert and I can't get this guy's name out of my mouth. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in my... Well, good listeners, if you know that... Uh, if yeah. you know who that droid is, drop us a line because uh, apparently we only know so much. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of review is this? Sorry. <laughs> That's funny. So Mando remarks that even with your laser swords, uh, you would not be able to protect yourself against that level of firepower. And then she says, true, but don't underestimate the magistrate either. Mando's like, well, who is she? Because she offered me a staff of pure Beskar to kill you. And now we get this this exposition on who the magistrate really is. And, and she's a woman, uh, Morgan Elizabeth, who is not a name that I'm familiar with in Star Wars. The, no. This is a new character as far as, uh, as far as I'm aware. Yes. And Ahsoka goes on to tell her that Elspeth's people were massacred during the Clone Wars and she had survived and turned her anger into industry by helping build the Imperial Starfleet and plundering worlds in the process. So I just had a thought here and it might be just really reaching out for a Hail Mary in left sure. field, but her people were massacred during the Clone Wars. Yep. We've already seen several times in this show people in burgundy robes oh, being yeah. massacred during the Clone Wars. And I'm wondering if Morgan Elsbeth isn't part of Din Djarin's people. Uh, that's entirely possible. 
the very similar color pattern to yeah. those robes. And I'm yeah, just yeah, cutting, yeah. like a huge stretch really, really early on. I'm just throwing it out there in the pond now. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get a, we'll get more on that. Well, it's because she's alive at the end of the episode. So they never show her getting. Oh, there's a, yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about that too. Yeah. I, I'm going out on a limb and saying she's alive. We don't, we don't hear the answer to the final question, but I suspect that she's alive. And I think that's, Oh, we got to keep you hanging viewers. That's why we, and that's the way, why they played it that way, which is it's great television, right? It creates great drama. And it's the first time they've done that. Yeah, it is. In two seasons, they haven't left any threads like that. Like they've introduced um, like, canonical threads and and um like dialogue threads but they haven't actually wiped away from an important no. scene yeah. that you don't see in the background that droid by the way folks is 8d8 8d8 okay perfect <laughs> uh and so amanda's like well it looks like she's still in business right judging by the the surroundings but that's a yeah. call back to the, talking about that factory at the beginning right so yeah. is caledon uh is it a is it a ship building maybe just the latest in a long line of her settling down somewhere and stripping the place for what she needs. Maybe, but I mean, she just reaps worlds for the resources and then sells them to the highest bidder. Is she selling them or is she still in the shipbuilding business? Well, it's possible. Certainly uh, recontextualizing everything. Certainly the first order, which grew from within the new Republic had to get their ships somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to talk more about that as we get towards, uh, towards the end of the episode. Cause I think that there is a connection there where, she may still be actively in the shipbuilding business. I agree. Um, Which could tie it to that whole line in uh, in Last Jedi where Benicio Del Toro is telling them, you know, they don't give a crap who they sell to. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. Let, yeah, me, yeah. let me learn you something big. That's right. Yeah, so uh, got to rescue the prisoners. We're now coming back up to Corvus. The wall at the main gate is now manned by guards and their attention is very focused on the outside. And... Uh, we see Ahsoka singularly dash towards the the gate while the soldier like it's her sound the alarm, and then the the rest of the guards start basically shooting indiscriminately into the woods, <laughs> and then like a streak of light over the wall she comes and wow. she starts to clean house. Single saber this time. Yes, yeah. So she cleans house in a in a kind of a really hyper stylized way where. You know, she takes out a few guys quickly, and then there's this moment where she uses, uh, she uses the force to rip one of the rifles away from a, a soldier and knocks uh, another guy out with it, and then turns to face the guy that she just disarmed and gives him that like, "What are you gonna do?" And then he Run. obviously runs right. She cuts the gong in half, and the guy behind the gong in half. Well, the the guy, and I feel sorry for that guy. Like I'm thinking of <laughs> of all the jobs that you've got to do in a private army. Like the last job I want is gong ringer because now he's the trumpeter, right? What, he's the, my the guy only, on the bugle. yeah, my only weapon is a drumstick. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Take like, a swing at her with the gong. He's he's got a mallet, I and mean, what's he gonna do, right? But he he tries clearly unsuccessfully and like you say she does she cuts him down and the 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 tubular bell alarm in the process and it rolls off the 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 wall it's very final too like like this will never ring again like bong bong yeah it's done like there's no you know when they were ringing it how it had that like a bell like bong like the the sustained note and this was like bunk bunk done clunk clunk yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah yeah it's cool little like you know nod to like you know her reign is about to end 
not a, a lot of nice filmmaking choices in terms of the direction here because they make a human being move like an animated character, but by deftly cutting away from her leaps and stuff. And yeah. suddenly she's on top of a roof. Suddenly she's behind something. So they use like, they, they clearly they, you don't want to use too much CG and have this character flipping all over and looking ridiculous. But the, the filmmaking techniques that Filoni uses here to give you the idea that Ahsoka is still the same, crazy flipping mobile character that's that right we've seen her be in two series is and it, it works so well actually i really felt like this episode this particular and it does it plays out a little bit more where there's that whole stalking counter stalking through the city streets and and she's up on the rooftops really was like is this like him leaning back into his days on avatar on the last airbender right yeah, no, heavily. Just like, again, going back to like the way that the characters move. And like you say, they move like an anime. Oh, absolutely. Or she does anyway. Oh, for, certainly. So yeah, she cuts down uh, the last guard along with the bell. More guards now gather outside the inner gate along with uh, Michael Bain's uh, guard captain. And the inner gates open and the magistrate and her droid guards step out into the street. Ahsoka at this point now at the opposite end of the street. Uh, steps out in front of the bell and they kind of face off against each other. Super and it's Western this, style. Yeah, it's this like <laughs> kind of vibe, oh, right? Yeah, and and the the just the way her cloak moves, I, all these little things like the way, uh, like when you look at like samurai movies and and, yeah. and kung fu movies, there's like these little aesthetic flares that they like focus on. They they, it's almost like the filmmaking language is different than western filmmaking language i and, almost uh, expected the camera to do like a tight shot on her face and then like super yeah. quick pan all the way back to the other snap, end of the street yeah like a snap pan to her yeah so they're, they're you know in, in comic books as well anime has a different um like iconic language than western comics so that like yep. different like that that tier that anime characters get means something different than a tier in a western right so right just the little flares the way that the cloaks all flow out and just little, the tiniest things in this episode make me so happy. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's another little detail there to just reinforce the state of the place. You see uh, Craggy Face Man. Yeah, the Craggy Face Man. Peeking out, but he physically has to pull that door shut. There's no power like you would have seen oh, yeah. anywhere yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, even, even Anakin Skywalker on Tatooine, the slave quarters had like power doors. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, good point. So now... Ahsoka starts to, I don't want to say casually, but she ca cautiously, slowly makes her way up the uh, street and stops a few meters away. And she throws out Mando's uh, mud horn adorned uh, shoulder pauldron as a gesture of, you know, your uh, your hired killer failed. Oh, yeah. You know, so good. I didn't see that coming. And I, and I neither did I. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a double, the double double cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a nice. Just like, oh yeah, they've got a yeah. solid plan here. Yeah. So tell me, uh, or your bounty hunter failed. Tell me what I want to know. Where is your master? So now we know that there, you know we're going back to that. There's a there's a bigger connection here somewhere. There's always a bigger fish. There is. Uh, at this point, Morgan instructs her forces to kill her. Uh, blaster fire rings out and Ahsoka leaps onto the rooftops, running away from the inner gate, deflecting a bunch of uh, blaster bolts at the same time. Cool. Um, Michael Bain's character is carrying essentially uh, a, the first, I think, I don't think we've ever seen this on screen before. The first Star Wars shotgun. Yeah, it's, it's called a scatter gun. Yeah. And 
it's it's they have it in the um the battlefront 2 video game okay I, could, I couldn't tell you what it's called exactly but it is a scatter gun and it, it, yeah it's like a, a close range shotgun weapon for uh it sprays like five or six bullets. yeah because yeah it, it clearly it. spit out a bunch of uh yeah. bolts in one shot it's deadly at short range but i don't outside of a video game have we seen that anywhere before no definitely not. i don't think so so all the soldiers except for two they take off uh, and give chase while the guard captain kind of turns to Morgan and he says, I'll take care of this. And she's like, okay, take the droids with you. So they go off. Those last two guards, though, that are sitting behind, Morgan gives them instructions to kill the prisoners and then go door to door. So yeah, she we, is a ruthless bee. Yeah, and they, uh, they uh, Craggy Man is they cut to his face at that, you know, to bring that home again. He's the face yeah. of the village. So when they're reminded that they're going to go door to door, we, we humanize them again and go, Oh yeah. So he steps out to try he does. and make a save. So now, you know, yeah. he's like, you know, he's the, again, he's the reluctant hero, right? He doesn't want to, but nobody else is going to. And he feels that he's got to do something. So opening his door and stepping out in the street, like he's going to get between the, the helpless prisoners and the soldiers, he is, uh, <laughs> he's kind of doesn't get the, the drop quite as quickly as our, as our hero does as Mando comes in on his jetpack and plants a drop kick right in buddy's chest. Yes. And then quickly with two very swift shots of his pistol <laughs> takes out the two guards and then kind of spins thinking, you know, craggy face man is potentially another, another target and then has that realization of like, Oh, it's you. And, and they both have that, that nodding agreement, right? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then they turn to free this. Yeah. To free the, the prisoners. prisoners. So meanwhile, we've got, um, we've got Ahsoka who is clearly stalking the, uh, the soldiers who are giving chase or sorry, the soldiers are stalking her, but they yes. don't, they don't realize that she's counter stalking them. Oh, hell yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Picking I don't, off one I don't think there's another way to, to say that, you know, like they're, they're methodically moving through the streets in a very like stalking kind of way, but she's, she's clearly the one who's got the upper hand or she Just thinks like she's got ninja. the upper hand. Yes. So getting the drop on the, uh, the guard captain, Ahsoka is able to disarm him, but then the two HK droids flank her and they start laying down a hail of fire, which she can't, she knows that she's in the kill zone. So she makes an escape plan, cuts one of the droids down, and disappears off into the night again. Uh, she has a wall, little wall run to do it, too. Yeah, uh, that was really cool, too. Yeah, real cool. At this point, the, the guard captain, Michael Bain's character, he's recovered his, his weapon, and he orders the, the last droid to get up on the rooftops and, and to chase her down. And then you assume that, that that's happening. I did, there was a little bit of, like, that's not a pacing issue at all, but it was like, I was having a hard time determining if, if everything was happening concurrently or if we were like doing little time jumps where we were spending some time with Ahsoka and then going back to what Mando was doing. And then when he would catch up with her, we'd go back to her. But I kind of feel that it was more or less happening at the same time. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Especially when we catch up to them both and they're in a, like in the next scene where they're facing off against different opponents at the same time, you can hear their, battles going on in the back and the, you know, so yeah, I definitely think it was congruent. Everybody catch the loth cat creeping around. Yeah. yeah. Twice. Nice to know that they're, uh, they're, you know, found throughout the galaxy now. <laughs> yeah, Probably sneaking on ships and stuff. Nice and deep. 
Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Fandom Power. So we, we cut back to the main street of town as uh, Mando is just like he's telling Craggy Face Man, get everybody off the street. And so they, they take off. And, uh, man, like we go full full circle back to the whole Western thing again. And we have this like – and I can't even tell you what movie they were trying to evoke. I know in season one, essentially every episode mirrored an, a Western flick. Uh, and they would they named them. I don't know what they were referencing in this one, but it's very obviously Western in the sense that he's like, so you threw in with the Jedi. And he's like, well, it looks that way. It's yeah. It's so good. Uh, she's, she's standing on the wall and it's just framed so well. Like you can tell that an animator is directing. this. Yeah. Episode. It's very she's much that standing way. up on the wall and her cloak is billowing and he's in the foreground and just the soldier of the opponent, the shoulder yeah. sword of the opponent in the, in the, in the deep uh, foreground. It's just framed so well. Yeah. There's a there's a scene earlier on where uh, she's sitting with the child and the friggin' moon is in the background. Oh and yeah, one dead tree is kind of framing them up and yeah. over. And down. I'm I'm going to paint it. Oh cool, very yeah. cool, beautiful scene. So they're facing off on the uh, uh, on the main street where at this point Ahsoka has now. I think she's sort of establishing that like you can handle this. I yep. mean it's a completely silent silent thing, but it's like guard captain spots her. Now she's aware that he's aware of her and she's clearly like, you got this. And then turns and drops off the wall on the yeah. other side of the courtyard where now she is now facing off with Morgan. Really super, super cool. Like going back to like, this is classic Kung Fu movie where oh, they're squared off against each other on the bridge and they just stare down each other like that. We are about to do combat. <laughs> yeah. They approach each other really slowly. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I thought, well, this isn't going to go well for Morgan. <laughs> no, right? Because right. she's just standing there looking at the water. Way better at combat than I anticipated. Yeah, big time. They have this moment where they, it's the Obi-Wan Anakin movement where they simultaneously drop their cloaks <laughs> to fight each other. So now Ahsoka with her twin lightsabers and Morgan with her, her uh, the Beskar uh, spear are about to face off. They each adopt a fighting pose, and then Morgan strikes first, and both spear and sabers clash. So some really cool, uh, again, the, the fight choreography here is just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. The way she uh, clangs the spear, kapang, almost like it's a... It's almost... It's almost bell. Yeah, like... Like pro sports, pro pro uh, combat sports, having a bell, it felt the same, very similar, right? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the next few scenes kind of play off of each other. That's that simultaneous, like, and this is classic Star Wars, right? Like where you've got a land battle and a space battle at the same time. And you keep cutting back and forth. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's quick. And uh, we get back out onto the street and, uh, you know, the captain and Mando, they can hear the clashing, the ting, ting, and they can, you hear the lightsaber humming and he's like, 
Who do you think's going to win? Could be your side. Could be my side. So Mando, is, he doesn't even say a word. He just stares as the uh, the guard captain slowly kind of makes his way up. And But and the he, whole time, he's just, he's ready. Yeah, he is. He's got the, the twitch, I guess. He's ready the, to draw. And yeah. that's where it cuts back to like, you know, any number of Clint Eastwood movies yeah. where it's like, he's... He's ready to go. Like it's it's time, kind of like the uh, the 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 marshal, the episode, the marshal. Yes. Same thing, right? That same like I'm ready. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to say anything. No, that's far enough. Yeah. Both men listen intently to the fight raging inside the courtyard. As Michael Bain approaches, he's like, "I've got no quarrel with you, Mandalorian." And finally, you know, Din's like, "That's far enough," and he's like, "Don't come out anymore." So. Almost as if Mando is holding the captain at bay, you know, to ensure that, like, I think Mando's, like, of the mindset is, like, I'm out here to stop you from going in there and making it an unfair fight. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. He's the sentry sentry now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back in in the courtyard, we've got some more sword slash spear play. And at some point during the fight, Morgan actually disarms Ahsoka of her long blade. I was like, what? Yeah. 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 I didn't see that coming. She fought Vader. What? (laughs) Yeah. But Andy, you had mentioned this on the way in today. Like, yeah, there's a point there where it looks like she switches up forms. Yeah. And on Morgan's face, it's just like, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she's actually shifting forms there from like form five to whatever, but it seems like Morgan just recognizes instantly she's screwed. Yeah. She, well, yeah. as soon as she does disarm her, and perhaps even like, cause I was taking the character lightly. Maybe that's what Ahsoka was doing too. Yeah. Um, maybe. But cause she does do that. Like you say, Andy, she, she immediately, she has her, her Shinto, which is her short lightsaber in her left hand. And she immediately switches it to the backhanded stance for, you know, with the, with the blade inverted yeah. along her yeah. the back of her arm. So it, yeah, she she switches forms, and that's when there is this look of like, uh, uh oh, and, and certainly the, the battle goes differently after that. Which, by the way, if you watch any historical reenactment person who's versed in medieval combat, will tell you reverse grip on in a sword fight is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that no is the fastest doubt. way to get yourself killed. But in yeah. Star Wars, it's fantastic. In the movie world, it looks cool. It looks great. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point. Oh yes, yeah. so we flip back out to the the outside where the the dialogue continues, and he's like, "You know, you and I are a lot alike, willing to lay our lives down for the right cause." And then he says, "It's kind of and it's kind of muffled, but I think he says this isn't it." Yeah, yeah, which which this is not. Yeah, this is not. I this is the not the right that cause. Michael Bain might have been drinking during the filming of this. <laughs> well, I almost had this moment of like, is he going to flip? Is he just going to wa- turn and walk away? Is this the hired gun saying, no, I'm done? Yeah, like, I didn't sign up for this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that doesn't really happen because we flip back inside, and now Ahsoka has now pressed, you know, the fight to the point where she rends the spear from Morgan's hands, and it's like saber to throat, and it's evocative of the, you know, Bo-Katan and that Imperial officer on the, the bridge of the ship, and the fight is abruptly brought to an end. But not before we flip back outside and it's like, oh, sounds like you win. And so the captain goes to lay his scattergun on the street, but he try he, he thinks, you know, he can get the drop on Mando with the pistol concealed on the back of his belt. 
but Mando has him dead to rights oh, and man. puts him down with a single round to the chest. Yeah. And we get the final, you there's a like little a, flourish, yeah. like a little twirling flourish to drop his pistol back in, which is like, oh, yeah, it's a Western. <laughs> nice. And then you get uh, Craggy Face Man coming out for the, oh, yeah, you won. Yeah. Only to have one more drop on him. Yeah. There's this uh, uh, moment where they, you know, they want to share. You feel like they're going to share this, this share the victory, right? Yeah. And then it's like, look out as the final, uh, the HK droid, which legitimately because of the pacing and because of the action I had forgotten about. And Mando turns adeptly and puts a round through his head. Right between the eyes. Yeah. Ooh. It's perfect. It was just, it was poetically beautiful. Oh, man. And then we get the reveal. Right. So, meanwhile, back at, in the courtyard, Ahsoka lightsaber to Morgan's throat. Where is your master? And here is the probably the biggest uh, oh. bomb drop of the episode. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? I, I stood up and went, wow. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I, yeah. I woke the people upstairs. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of was like, oh. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I didn't see it coming, oh. and I'm not 100% sure where it's going, but there's some serious speculation to be done. Yeah. For those of you who are not unaware of the character Grand Admiral Thrawn, he was introduced, oh, back in the 90s in the that uh, Expanded Universe trilogy, uh, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. Timothy Zahn, who essentially launched, we've mentioned this before, Timothy Zahn, who essentially launched the... Uh, the expanded universe of novels. Uh, he's kind of yeah. like, I don't know. He's kind of like the godfather of star Wars really. And in, in some really ways. the heir to the empire starts immediately after yeah. the Jedi with the consciousness of the emperor floating through space. Yeah. And so yeah. here's uh, this character, grand Admiral Thrawn, who in those days was a, a near human admiral, a grand admiral uh, near human uh, species is called a chiss. And they're mm -hmm. a race of blue skinned, uh, near humans from the unknown regions. That's correct. Yeah, from the unknown regions. Major, their their culture is steeped in like in naval warfare, mm -hmm. and he's written as this like like master military planner, and that that is probably the biggest aspect that when they brought him back into the new canon in the Disney era, or not even the Disney era, for Star Wars Rebels that is the singular most connective thing that they held on to was like, he is a master planner. He's a master strategist. He's, you know, talking about the chess game. He's the guy you don't want to be playing chess with. Exactly. And he's, he's so adept at knowing what you're going to do. And his, his tactics are so sound. And, 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 the, and they also, it's introduced in the novels that he, he learns about cultures and enemies through their art. That's right. Yeah. And, and they keep that strongly in Rebels, too, that he's he's learning all these things about Sabine and and Kanan and Ezra and uh, Ahsoka through the art. And yeah. uh, they really keep that, too. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. It, see, one of the problems and, and certainly Gideon is a great new villain and he has he is. the saber high because he has the, the dark saber, which without the dark saber, let's face it, he's just another guy in the background. He might be what we've been speculating an inquisitor. He, yep. he could be some high level person assigned directly by the emperor at his death to move the project forward. Yeah. But 
without the gravitas of the of the uh, of the dark saber he's ostensibly no one but so the only super villain left if you will yeah to step into that that like someone that puts the stakes as high as vader or as high as the emperor or as high as the grand inquisitor is grand admiral thrawn yeah yeah and i mean there's major major implications with name dropping him i mean name dropping him all but you know, solidifies he's alive. There's no way that she would be name dropping him without, you know, the, the knowledge that he's right. I don't think that they would name drop it without him being alive. No, exactly. If it's just the path to find Ezra. Well, uh, but it, it opens up. Oh my God. It opens up the floodgates. If you, if you haven't watched rebels and if you, if you're only catching up on our show just now, we talked about the exit of, of Grand Admiral Thrawn at the end of Rebels and how he left the series. He and Ezra uh, on board the bridge of that Star Destroyer essentially hyper jump to God knows where with the, I don't know what they're called, the hyperspace whales. Yes. But you had pointed out, Hank, like the glass, the canopy, the bridge glass, it was exposed to the atmosphere. So like, how did they survive that? I mean, they went to hyperspace in the atmosphere of a planet. Yes. You know what I mean? So like some creative way, whether we ever learn or not, and I guess it doesn't really matter in the, in the whole space opera sense, he survived it. So the implication is very, very likely that so did Ezra. So immediately for me, this, this, what I, I the, my first thought beyond all the, like the obvious things, oh my God, Ezra, Oh my God, Sabine, and, and yeah. oh my God, you know the whole Ghost Crew essentially. Yep. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, and I was sort of, I had joked about, hey, if you're gonna get the, if you're gonna get the band back together, and it's like, holy shit, it kind of lends itself to this may be in fact exactly what they're doing. My first thought was a Sokotano spinoff show. Oh, yeah. Just dro- dropping Thrawn, also like leaving her. Where where they leave her at the end of the episode leads yep. me to believe like she's walking off into the sunset. We might not see her again contextualized. I wondered that as well, but certainly to hire such a a a big actress and to have so much put so much work in for her to only appear on screen for like twelve minutes, <laughs> it seems like a lot. At the same and time, I, I felt the same way maybe about Bo Katan. Like we may not see her again either. No, but. Uh, now I, I feel like that there's a whole other side to the story. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that that might actually be happening. Uh, I, I like, and I, and I think Thrawn was dropped not as an adversary for the bigger picture, because I think we have our adversary for the bigger picture in terms of the Mandalorian. Yeah. But I think that was dropping like a, an Ahsoka adversary. Oh, that's entirely possible. Ezra Bredger. And they've are, they've already sort of stated Disney said that we like, we really want to go with the, the broad sort of spectrum, Marvel style Netflix yeah. TV shows interconnected. That intertwine. And so, you know, I think Lauren had said, I, I heard that there was going to be, and I was like, I don't think I ever heard that rumor. And I, I would love to hear that rumor, but I've heard every other single rumor, but it's yeah, me too. Show and haven't heard this one. And for it to be the one that could actually come out of the woodwork would, would make me so friggin' happy. Oh my God. Yeah. I want to just shift gears for a second and I just want to go back to the production side of things. And we talked about how, uh, you know, possibly like, you know, Favreau's the showrunner, but he's got Filoni in his back pocket and, and they have to be buds because of the way that they're, this is being written. 
but after seeing this episode, you can't tell me that Filoni's not pulling more strings than we're than we're actually aware of. <laughs> and it would be nothing for Favreau to continue with this, and for Filoni, Filoni to branch off into that, or for yeah. them to run in tandem. Uh, like there's there is more here on Heaven and Earth Horatio going yeah. on. <laughs> they have big, big, big plans, bro. So big I want to let's come back to Thrawn for a minute because I'm I'm going to go a little further on this and. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest if, well, maybe not if I'm going to say when, because I think that we're building to, there's going to be a confrontation when Thrawn makes his appearance back in, in live action or, or his first live action appearance, Hmm. I'm going to speculate now he is not part of the empire. He's not, he has not established or reestablished any connection to the empire. And I think there's a, there's a, there's some visual clues that suggest that. One, we know that Moff Gideon is our big bad. He, there's the even though it's the Imperial Remnant, there is still a structure, and every Imperial uh, villain that we've seen to date wears a uniform. Yes, Ahsoka refers to Morgan as uh, refers to Thrawn as Morgan's master. So, if we use the same convention, the bad guy convention, if Thrawn was still part of the Empire, would she not be a uniformed villain? Because to me, she just looks like a civilian. Well, so if we dive into the fact that we they, they've given us a little exposition on who she is, yeah, certainly Thrawn is crafty and powerful enough, uh, especially in the novels. Yeah, oh yeah. To to manipulate this person who who ostensibly can build fleets of ships, to 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 put them in a position where he's their overlord without having them be a, a member, but she's. She's outside the empire. She's outside yeah. the the republic. She's an arms dealer, ostensibly. Well, there is a uh, there is a precedent for the uniform convention, and I don't want to I don't want to harp on it because I like the idea that you know our opinions are are varied on this. But like mm-hmm. when the empire basically nationalized Sinar fleet systems, they all wore uniforms. They all wore imperial logos. Like they. You know what I mean? Like it certainly the executives did anyway. No, that's that's very true. So there's an there's another aspect to this. What if Thrawn is just another player in the power vacuum created by the fall of the Empire? And now that he's come back, he's got this shipbuilder. And remember, the Chiss species have a huge naval history. What if he is building his own fleet to make a power play for himself with independent of any government or pseudo government well certainly in the thrawn novels if you've read them not the new ones no timothy's own novels that are like new canon i have not read the new ones he's essentially assigned by the chists ascendancy yep to not infiltrate the empire but to to join the empire and he's almost like an undercover operative yeah uh, and so in terms of that, you could be, you could be leaning into something very correct there. Yeah. The other thing is he is, you know, using his time because everybody thinks he's dead or the galaxy at large would think that he's dead. And the other players within the Imperial military would think he's dead. He's using this time possibly to, um, get some ships, build up enough power base so that he can in fact come back and assert himself as the supreme military commander of the remnant. At the same time, I think we all want to see him in that white uniform when he appears. I do too. 
I think that this adds a whole other layer. I'll just going to read it directly off my notes. Sure. I said, it wouldn't be a far stretch for a character like Thrawn, who has been written as a supreme military strategist to make a play for a seat of power of his own design, or even set the stage for his return to power as the supreme military commander of the Remnant, potentially putting he and Moff Gideon at odds in the vein of, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Absolutely. There's a yeah. scene in one of the novels where him and Vader are teamed up and they go down to a world and it's, it comes this situation where they're, they're, they lose all their troops and they're together alone on a planet and they have to survive together. Yeah. And during this interaction, Thrawn discovers that Vader is Anakin Skywalker, but oh, for wow. nothing else than just pure deduction. In, right. Yeah. Like Sherlock Holmes is it. He columboed it. Situation. He columbos <laughs> the frig out of it and then internalizes that information. Yeah. Like, like that's a very powerful piece of. Well, you would hold on to that because, yeah. I mean, if you were to let that out, I mean, there's serious. Vader would kill you. Yeah, really. Ask, uh, ask Prince Shizor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you uh, go up against Vader, you better be able to play hardball. This is it. Right. So any more we want to say about Thrawn before we move on? I blown away. That's the, I told you earlier before the show, Yeah, uh, my friend that I couldn't tell uh, Colin at work at the beginning of the show, I mentioned him that I couldn't say a, the word about uh, the show to him. He's such a big fan. Right. He texted me right after it was like six o'clock an hour after we, we were done work. He drove home and watched the episode already and told me that his 10 year old son cheered like a, like, like he won the Stanley cup when they said Thrawn's name. And I was just like, for me, a 10 year old, like, it made me so happy. Right, like, right. Like almost more than, than being an adult and getting to experience this stuff, it made me happy that there's somebody that young that's experiencing it like you and I did. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, you know, for me, that was really powerful. Oh, that's great. So, and again, here we go. It happens for the first time in Star Wars history. We get this classic use of the wipe shot, but it's like Morgan doesn't get the chance or we as the audience do not are not afforded the opportunity to hear what the answer is, if in fact there's an answer at all. We don't know if Ahsoka yeah. just murdered her. Like, did Ahsoka mm. get what she was after? Is she now is, is Morgan a prisoner now? We don't know. Well, certainly there's a new magistrate in town. Magistrate yeah, absolutely. Craggy. Yeah. It's Craggy. <laughs> right, Raggy. <laughs> <laughs> so and and we do get that in Star Wars before, but it's usually a line of exposition. Yeah. As Kanata uses it, uh, that's a story for another, for another time, time regarding Luke Skywalker's lightsaber right. and how she came into possession with it. Yep. So there is that, we're going to take this information and put it in our belt and hold it, and you know we've got it, so yep. maybe we'll return to it someday. Yep. For me, that was a big part of saying there's going to be an Ahsoka Tano show and that this is going to be developed further in that. But this could be a Game of Thrones-style show that we're heading into where there are many, many moving parts yeah yeah for and, sure uh, we might need to make the seasons longer but again <laughs> yeah again it is called the mandalorian so if True he's enough. he's has to be the he has to be center to everything and if he's not then it's not his show anymore so no exactly and we are starting to steer into the lore that's right that is definitely pull us pulling us uh hither and tither if you will yeah uh, in yep. terms of staying focused on him I love the idea that the series may be working towards the the resolution, the rebels resolution that we never got. That Ezra does get to come home, and I think that that is going to play into where the show is going 
in the next three episodes. But I, yeah, I am totally, you want to do an Ahsoka spinoff? You want to do a Thrawn spinoff? Oh yeah, I'm in. You know, like just give it to me. I'm all in. Right, so the main gates open and uh, Mando and Ahsoka walk out. Behind them, the citizens of of, uh, Corvus are celebrating the overthrowing of Morgan and the craggy-faced man is symbolically draped in her cloak, signifying that he is now the, uh, the, the magistrate. And I, I kind of wonder, like, given his reluctance, like the reluctant hero thing that we were talking about before, yep. is there a possibility that he may have been a legitimate government official at one point and now has been Possible. restored? That was he, displaced he, by her arrival. Yeah. He certainly has some ownership over uh, what's going on there and some investment into it. And he's the, the focal point of the 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 casual or human face, if you will, human seems in terms of star Wars, it seems like a silly thing to say, but the, the, the human face of the village, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Also in this scene, this is a, again, John Williams music, uh, that they play a version of the theme from the celebration at the end of Phantom Menace, the, 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 the Naboo song. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's playing, uh, they're, as they're celebrating. That's interesting. Yeah. Ahsoka offers Mando the Beskar spear. She's like, I believe this was payment. And he's like, I can't accept it. I didn't finish the job. He's so noble to a fault when it comes yeah. to his job. But taking a page from uh, the client's book, you know, talking about Beskar and how, you know, she echoes. Yeah, but it really does belong with, you know, a Mandalorian. Mm. So he accepts that. And, and like this, <laughs> symbolically, you can't tell me that that is not placed in in his hands specifically as a way to combat whoever is wielding the dark saber. No, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. He can do so much with his, you know, barehanded, you know, uh gauntlet deflections, but I mean to have something that, you know, is potentially when we know, talked about the, the the need for an adversary to have like we were like, well, Sabine still got Ezra's lightsaber and that's if right, Ahsoka yeah. shows up, she's got lightsabers, so yeah, that makes sense. But that's now right. now there's a there's something that that evens the playing. That's ground. right. We got a Beskar spear that we know is uh, is just as lightsaber proof as uh, as Beskar armor. So oh, yeah, yeah, we're looking at a big showdown coming here at some point. Absolutely. But she says, uh, "Where's your little friend?" And uh, he's like, "Oh, he's back at the ship. I'll go get him." And isn't there this like, I don't want to say dejected, but it's almost sorrowful, like. Mando is resigned to the fact that he's about to say goodbye to his little buddy, his little, his ward, his ostensibly his son. And he's not, he's not dealing with it very well. Like he's, he's He's genuinely sad about it. Yeah. 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 Where I nearly broke down actually in the scene when he, he tries to wake him up to say goodbye. Oh my God. To wake up. Like the kid doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. No. So he just, fades back off to sleep and it, it really you get uh, from that the hammock yeah, from the yeah. hammock to the the way the 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 scene shifts and now he's cradling him like an infant yeah and it's this like as a parent i'm immediately like i'm welling up like oh my god yeah, having to say goodbye right to a child yeah. is just it's a terrible feeling you know yeah. like i can't you know it's i've never experienced that sense of loss quite that way but i've experienced loss in other ways that where i feel like oh yeah it's it's a heart it it pulls at the strings like huge yeah i I don't know if you 
in a normal situation, if you would ever get the opportunity to say goodbye, if in a, in a situation where, you know what I mean? Yeah, in uh, the whole. Would, yeah, like in 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 the in a in a world where accidents happen or where situations in life happen, you might not get that that moment where you get to look into the child's eyes and know that that's the last moment you're going to look at them. Ostensibly, yeah. you should look at your child every moment like that's the, 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 like it's know, the last. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think um, you know not not having that moment is is can can affect you so that like super powerful i it nearly i thought that and i don't know why because i knew that the show hinged on their relationship together yeah for some reason i thought he's going to give the child up and we're going on a whole other well we've we've said it before you know i mean this this is more than the lone wolf and cub thing this is a genuine like if you were on the fence before now as to the nature of the relationship, I don't think there's really any denying that he is, he's fully made the transition from surrogate protector to father. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And even if they do find someone else to train him, I don't, I kind of get the impression that maybe uh, he's going to haphazardly try to, teach him the force i have some thoughts on that as well that i want i'm going to get into in our next big uh what if uh section which is coming up here shortly because yes speaking of what if i had a terrible take on that whole scene oh yeah as he's like wait here i'll go get him yeah i thought for sure he was going to get back to the ship and find that because of the tracking beacon that had oh, been installed yeah, previous episode, yeah, yeah. he would get there and find nothing. Oh, it's funny you yeah. mentioned that because it, it never even occurred to me that they're that they are being tracked now yeah yeah, no, I, I don't think we'll get to Tython next episode. I think that we'll encounter the Empire Remnant before that because they are being tracked. Yeah, so oh, more speculation to make. <laughs> I love oh, it. Buddy. I love it. I get the sense that the scene in the Razor Crest, in the back of the Razor Crest, happens over some time. Like you say, he's sleeping and, and Mando is reluctant to to like wake him up. But he does, and the reason I say that it some time has passed is because Ahsoka, as far as I'm concerned, has you know gotten impatient. Yeah, I'm not waiting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so she's walked out to meet them, That's and right. uh, from the back of the the crest, you know, she's like, you know, you're like a father to him, and she she says it right on the nose. You're like a father yeah. to him, and I cannot train him. No. And Din's like, but you made you made a promise, and I held up my end. Right. Shit. Word is everything to this character. Your That's right. Word is everything to this character. Yeah, yeah. But she has another idea. She says there is one possibility. And here comes, here it comes, here comes the, the we're going to go deep here shortly. But oh, she buddy. says, she says, go to the planet Tython. There you will find the ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the force. Place Grogu on the seeing stone at the top of the mountain. He says, then what? Then Grogu can choose his path. If he reaches out through the Force, there's a chance that a Jedi may sense his presence and come searching for him. Then again, there aren't many Jedi left. With that, Mando thanks Ahsoka, and she bids him a may the Force be with you and turns to walk back towards the city. Roll credits. Oh my god. So, the implication of uh, taking this kid to the planet Tython. Wow. Yeah, if you don't know Star Wars the way Wes and I do and Andy does, uh, oh my goodness, this literally is ground zero for Star Wars in the EU. Yeah. Ground zero. 
yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin. I want to just, I want to touch a little bit more on Ahsoka and like I'd said like the, her, her characterization throughout the episode was mostly not bitter, but, um, um, what was the word I was using? Uh, she's, she's kind of dark and she's like grizzled. Right. But I really now at the end of this episode, get the sense that, Oh, there's a spark of the old Ahsoka. The young optimistic Ahsoka is now starting to shine through. Oh, and maybe the, the central theme in all of the movies, all of the books, all of the shows, cartoons included is hope. Exactly. Yeah. You nailed and it so right there. This, this, this is hope uh, for her. Um, and, and it's very telling that she says there's not many left. That means that through the force, she understands that, that there are people left. And, and for sure, I think, um, what a powerful set of circumstances, like I, the idea that she can connect with the child of her former master. Yeah. Really tickles my fancy. Uh, yeah. I, I want to be a fly on the wall during a conversation between Luke and, and Ahsoka. And I have this book, and it's not canon by any means, although part of it has been canonized by uh, Ryan Johnson because he used one of the abilities, Force Projection, in Last Jedi that's in yep. this book called The uh, the Path of the Jedi. Yeah. And it's essentially, I don't know if you've read it, but it's a, it's a it's a handbook for a Padawan. Right. And this particular copy of the of the of the book has been passed down from all Is the this... way from uh, Yoda to Dooku to Qui-Gon. Is this one of the books that was written for like the YA audience? Like it's not, it's, I guess, I guess so, but it's, it's like a blow by blow. It's like, here's the history of the Jedi order. Gotcha. Okay. Here, here are all the lightsaber forms you're going to learn. Yeah. Here are all the powers that you can experience. Here's why to stay away from the dark side. Yeah. And then the cool thing about it is that there are handwritten notes and they're not, not by, you know, they're, they're printed in the book. Yes. The, the the this copy of the book was passed down from from Yoda to Dooku, from Dooku oh, to Qui Gon, okay, yeah. Qui Gon to Obi Wan, from Obi Wan to Anakin, from Anakin to Ahsoka, from Ahsoka it got into the position of Sidious because there's notes from Sidious in there, oh. and at some point Luke Skywalker gets a hold of it. Oh, that's really cool. And so there's all these notes where they're examining each other's thoughts and and, and different interpretations of Force abilities and things. It's it's actually a really deep dive into Jedi lore. Well, I, I like the idea of the, of the book, and I'm going to touch on the books a little bit more, particularly the ancient Jedi texts that are now in possession of Rey. Yeah, and the one of the covers of that book, the, the, the one with the, the Jedi, sort of the phoenix and the lightsaber, yeah. the old Jedi Order symbol, the, yeah. the EU, is on the cover of the one that they feature prominently oh, right. in, in The Last Jedi. Cool. So, and yeah, I'll friggin' mail it to you if I have to. (laughs) (laughs) So there were a couple things that I meant to look up yesterday and I didn't, but the one thing that I did get back to was I did kind of look at Tython a little bit closer and, and the more I read and the more I remembered, the more I was like, I was getting excited and I just, I couldn't turn it off. Like it was just such a, like, I ended up doing another like page and a half of notes just to make sure that I sort of had everything out that I wanted to say, but. If you're not familiar with Tython, at least in the like in the canon sense, because there's a couple, there's a lot of, of cross pollination, kind of crossover between the, yeah. the EU and and the canon. But originally, Tython was introduced back in two, uh, 2007 in the Legends, the Darth Bane novel. 
And then it made its first canonical appearance in the 2016 Force Awakens RPG. And then we, I guess the first time you really see it is in the 2019 Dr. Afra comic book. Yes, that's, yeah, that's where I'm, uh, and, other than the EU references, that's where I'm, I, I pick up sort of familiarity. Did you, with. you read Dr. Afra, didn't you? Yeah. Can you expand a little bit about like the, the context of Tython in that comic book? So it, they don't really contextualize the planet other than to say that it's, it's ancient in terms of its, its, uh, power and that the Jedi order may or may not have originated there. Yeah. But what, what they do get into is that there's a temple there. Afra as a character, if you're not familiar with her is, is ostensibly, um, she's not, she's the child she, of, a... she's, she's Indiana Jones. Yeah. She, she's the Indiana Jones character of the star Wars world. Um, okay. And Vader hires her early on to try to track down like Luke Skywalker. He hires a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and they 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 form this relationship and and you 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 get to know that she's not an imperial agent she's in terms of she has friends inside the rebel alliance and yeah so she takes vader to tython because she is trying to hide the rebels on hoth right that's that's where the comic sort of centers around that story so there's not a terrible amount of of uh, exposition about Tython other than that we, we get to see it. We get to see the temple uh, in the comic. I can send you some screenshots. I'll yeah. Them out. There's a, and there's the, a part in the, the fact that there's, there's a part of the past that we're attached to here. Uh, yeah. And the comics do that a lot. We go to a lot of different temples. We go to a lot of different planets that have ties to, um, and it's, it's spoken in the same breath as Jeddah. It's yeah. Spoken in the same breath as uh, the uh, Yavin prime. So in the uh, in the reading that I did in reference to Tython, it, it made reference to canonically speaking that uh, Tython, the the temple that's there, is akin to the ancient temple on Octu. Exactly. That they yeah, are of similar uh, uh, lineage or age, and then they right. go on so to say that, there's another one too, right? It definitely falls right into the the EU information that we have. Yeah. And it and it the EU information goes back, and they make a point of of starting the Star Wars lore, if you will, at about 34,000 BBY. BBY, oh, yeah. for everybody who's not informed, is before the Battle of Yavin, so that's yep. the destruction of the first Death Star. That's right. They go 34,000 years before that in, in into their world, and then they, they make a point of saying that the, originally this planet was settled tens of thousands of years before that. That's right. And that it was this planet that was like, essentially the living embodiment of the force think like ego from the marvel universe yeah. and that when it sensed a force sensitive being on its surface it would it would tear itself to pieces there would be crazy force storms and when there was an imbalance in the force between light and dark that cataclysms would occur it would rip itself to pieces in in in, in you know they really we get to see that in on mortis we get to yeah. see that in in, in the 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 world beyond worlds that there's like this whole other element to the force where like planets can almost be sentient beings. So the, the line in the episode where Ahsoka tells Mando to place uh, Grogu on the seeing stone, I, there's a, there's a reference to Tython about there being a, a, a structure like a, like a megalith. Then they say, they describe it as being made of pure kyberite. Now, is that, do we think this is the same thing as the seeing stone? In fact, the same structure, do we think so it's how, the same thing? How extensively did you, um, play, uh, fallen order? Uh, so I, I played fallen order right 
the story can I played the campaign front to back. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. So they're called. They have seeing stones in. He finds every every time he sits, finds a place that he can sit and meditate. Right. Interface. With oh, that. right. Those are seeing stones. Okay. Okay. Scattered all over Jedi temples all over the galaxy. Right. But the, the deep tie to canon now is the planet Bogdan that he goes to. Yeah. To search out the Jedi temple on Bogdan. Oh, Bogdan. Yeah, Bogdan yeah. is a moon of Tython. There okay. are two moons of Tython, Ashla yeah. and Bogdan. And this is where we get the origins of the light and dark side of the force because the original force wielders that inhabited this planet 40,000 years before the Battle right. of Yavin basically took the light moon and the dark moon and it's like much like 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 a pagan religion or native, yeah. you know, and then ascribed light and dark characteristics. So you, you almost have them inventing the force as nature. Right. Or having it revealed to them through these moons. Yeah. Right. And you also get the, the, the sister and the brother. Right. The dark, the like, and, and, uh, and, and we go back into Dave Filoni and we go back into the avatar. And if you're, you know anything about avatar, like yep. the avatar is the moon. Yeah. Right. So it really, it really begins to tie a lot of things. Even, even there it begins, to, it has so many connotations. Uh, but we do extensively explore Bogdan in the Jedi Order game. Yeah. And there is a Jedi temple there as well. They talk about in the old lore, you might have encountered this when you were doing your research yesterday. Um, there was, there's nine Jedi temples on Tython. There's the original one on the top of the mountain yeah. that, assumedly, that's the one we're going to visit uh, or that she wants the uh, Grogu to go to. Uh, but eight other eight the eight directions from that mountain they they uh, people went out with different versions of what they thought the force were right and they built temples based on those beliefs so there are like sort of like nine different versions of the force yeah. you know and yeah and we get um we get a cataclysm uh at some point there uh where there's a a war between force users who are split on an opinion think like christianity splitting on, on, yeah you know, yeah yeah before they're called the Jedi, the people are called the Jedi. The Jedi, I, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> to, 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 to change it, like there's an apostrophe in two eyes. Yeah. Uh, but from that, what they call the Force Wars, and we're talking forty thousand years before yeah, the Battle yeah. of Yavin, they split off into two groups, and and they, uh, one becomes the Jedi Order with one singular eye, and the other become the Sith. Yeah. And then non-Force users can't even be on this planet because it's it wants to tear them to pieces right it's super dangerous for non-force users so the non-force user natives to this planet they literally colonize the other nine planets in the system yeah right and so it become it's like deep deep star wars lore it's the first galactic expansion everything starts on tython like the first i can't i think it were, they're called the gree are the very first galactic traveling species and that that we're aware of yeah in all of the whatever galaxy Star Wars takes place in, and they're the original. They go to Tython and discover it, and yeah, cool, cool, crazy, cool stuff. It's it's it couldn't be more ground zero in terms of the the origins of no, the Jedi it's and quite literally Star Wars itself. Quite literally ground zero because in both in both EU and uh, uh, canon, uh, it's a deep core world. So, like as you said, you know the likelihood of of getting intercepted by the Empire before we get there is super super high. As we've got to basically go from we're out in the outer rim somewhere. If if we track anywhere along the EU at yeah. all, if we're using any of the EU stuff that is to do with Tython, uh, the hyperlane 
coordinates were removed or destroyed 900 yeah, yeah, years yeah. before the Battle of Yavin. Ostensibly, nobody knows where it is, even if uh, Cal Kestis can get to Bogdan. So I, I, I know it's semantics, really, but I think it's Bogan. Oh, oh. Bogan? Oh, maybe. It's Bogan. It's Ashla and Bogan. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so... I'm going to, I'm going to bring this full circle and I'm going to bring it back to like how that aspect of legends. And I appreciate the depth of knowledge that you bring to it because I, I didn't know the specifics of that, but what I did, what I discovered and what I did know was there's a Canon reference to Ashland Bogan. There is already a Canon reference to it. And if you, if you aren't aware of it, it's right here. Ah, you heard my call. Good. Your imbalance woke me from a deep slumber. Imbalance? Your presence is like a violent storm in this quiet world. You're a force wielder, but you're not a Jedi. Wielder? Hmm. Jedi and Sith wield the Ashlar and Bogan, the light and the dark. I'm the one in the middle, the Bendu. What do you call yourself? I am Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight. You carry conflict with you, Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight? It's this. <laughs> ah, interesting. Careful, it's... <sighs> dangerous. How so? It's a Sith holocron, a source of evil. My student's been using it, and I'm afraid it's changing him. An object cannot make you good or evil. The temptation of power, forbidden knowledge, even the desire to do good can lead some down that path. But only you can change yourself. And there it is. Ah, oh, yeah, we've been to... <laughs> so... That, that's Tython. That is uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, Season 4, Season 5, I believe. And that's Kanan... Oh, congratulations, Wes. Kanan Jarrus... Kane and Jarrus uh, speaking to the Bendu. So I just want to, I want to sort of tie it all together now because that, that to me was the biggest, as soon as I, when I read Ashley and Bogan and the reference of Tython, I'm like, we've heard that before. And I knew that that season of rebels, I felt like that was an unfinished, like it was a dangling thread. It's like, Oh, Oh, uh, they're really going to be working. You know, we've had gray Jedi in the expanded universe, or I, I know that's the name we've given them gray Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been sort of prolific throughout the EU as long as the EU has existed, these other force-using traditions. But I thought, oh, on the nose, we're going to get there. And again, this is where I say they tried to do it with Ray, but I don't know if that it was conveyed uh, visually to us as the viewer as, as good as it could have been done. And so Rebels like drops this huge like, oh, we're going to explore that. And then they never do the series ends and we never hear from the, we never hear anything about the Bendu again. So going back to what you said about the, the precursor to the, the modern Jedi order, these, the, the, this early force season tradition, the Jedi is the Bendu a Jedi. Wow. Is he steeped in that pre Jedi philosophy of balance between the light and the dark? I got to look it up again, but there is Bendu references in the old Republic stuff. Yeah. So I have to check out in terms of that, what you just said completely recontextualizes that episode. And I had forgotten that he used the terms of 
Ashla and, and, and Bogon. Yeah. The ability to wield darker light side of the force. But now that you say that, yeah, because that planet is never named, right? That is the planet Tython. He just, he's at the very beginning of that. Bendu says, Your presence here has created a force storm. Yeah. So, in, in, oh, they're all, wow. As <laughs> wow. You, as you had said, in Star Wars Legends, those early Jedi who would drift too close to the light or Ashla, they would be sent to the moon of Bogan to meditate there on the yes. dark moon. Yes. And those who drifted too far to the dark side would get sent to Ashla to meditate on the light yes. to maintain the balance. So to me, this really, uh, I'm just, I'm reading directly from my notes here. Cause if I don't, I'm going to forget where I'm going with this, but uh, it very much solidifies the idea that the Jedi and the Sith do in fact share a common origin and that the Bendu may very well have been an in canon representation of the legends Jedi. I think that this revelation really connects the dots to the sequel trilogy. And I say that if we go back to The Last Jedi, if we go to the temple on Octu and we look, take a really good look. For those of you who are listening, if you're if you're following along here and you're near your computer, I want you to pull up an image of the tile mosaic on the floor of the temple. The proto Jedi. Yeah. So when you For a when long you, time after Last Jedi, it was my screensaver. <laughs> yeah. So looking at that image and you see that seated figure cross-legged sitting down half of it is light half of it is dark but if you notice beside the figure are, are round objects and on the light side of the figure there's a dark circle and on the light uh, the dark side of the figure there's a light circle are those the moons ashla and bogan oh 100 i see i got the yin yang out of that immediately the say he's holding a saber the saber yeah. split opposite colors right right in front of him uh, I studied that the crap out of that thing. The idea that they were giving me an in canon uh, first Jedi temple, I look, I paused the crap out of that movie when I had it digitally and looked at everything I could look at. I, I tried to look at those books so hard, uh, just wanting to know stuff about Jedi. Uh, I've always been obsessed with that, and the fact that they were getting there is uh, just amazing. It kind of dovetails nicely into the sense that, you know, when when uh, Luke took Rey up there and sat her down on the stone and got her to to meditate. And there was that moment where he's in a freaking panic and he's he's fearful because she went right to the dark side. Yeah. But she comes out of it. Look at the way she comes out of it, though. It's almost like, yeah, what? Like, it's nothing, you know, and there's that they really played Rey up to be this like she's she's the middle she's essentially you know the the, the balance the balance and so if we if we take it even a little bit further i know they're referred to as the ancient jedi text the books but are these books maybe more akin to the the philosophical teachings of the the precursor order the jedi order and they are in fact more in line with the the earliest force traditions I'd have to go back and find the source material rather than just brushing it up on wiki and stuff like, yeah. to actually read the novels and comics. But the, the, the Jedi order and the Sith order are established like 20,000 years before the Jedi. I mean, they, they're both, they both originate there. Yeah. But I think that the, the, they had expanded out of the galaxy before that, uh, that schism. Okay. Uh, I think they are not out of the galaxy, but they certainly had, had colonized the nine worlds yeah in in the the tython system yeah certainly built temples all over the the system might be the origins of where you get like uh, non-force wielding beings having like a religious connection to the force yeah 
there's it's, there's so much that like, just that one planet drop i mean they, they they certainly know how to to cook stew these guys man holy cow so again you know going back to that pulling pulling these parts of the eu and bringing them forward and and you know uh, recanonizing or recontextualizing by recanonizing like this is a this is one of the deepest cuts i think we've seen yet you know, it, yeah, it, yeah. That, yeah, yes. We thought there was a lot of connective tissue in the last couple of episodes. You know, like we'd we'd said affectionately that the one episode leaned into the past, and and then the next episode leaned into the future, mm-hmm. and this episode just continues that you know that connective thread of weaving everything together. If all the other episodes were sinew, this episode is DNA. Oh my god, yeah. So what does that mean for what does that mean for Grogu? So I really think that. You know, you say that maybe Mando will try to train him. I think we're going to get there. We're going to get to Tython. We're going to put him up on the seeing stone and basically turn on the force radio and send out a ping. Ding! And somebody's going to come. Yes. Maybe it won't be a Jedi. Maybe it'll be somebody like the Bendu. Maybe this offers an, another option, the middle option, where, you know, Grogu is left to develop on his own independently and, and can be the middle ground and he can still hang out with Mando and still go on adventures and, but still develop as a force user. And, and that's the, the whole idea is that beyond Jedi and, and that's the whole meaning of, of dropping Tython. I, I believe yeah. firmly the, the, the whole idea that there can be force wielders who don't su- ascribe to the traditions right, said right. perfectly in that clip you played that's just a reference to the wielders of the ashla and the and the bogon that's not that has nothing to do with the force yeah you know like, it's just like i'm the, the thing in the middle this whole reality beyond that yeah you, start, you really get into that in the world between worlds you really get into that in, in the late clone wars episodes where the uh, the representatives of the wills show yoda his dark side and 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 let him commune with qui-gon yeah they they just they just were in the marianas trench they 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 drop us so deep into star wars it's it's hard to express to people who who aren't as steeped into it if you're just a casual viewer how deep they've just gone it's i think we've we've, we're at star wars bedrock we've opened a door that we've never you know, we've we've spoken metaphorically about opening doors and stuff, you know, with Cara Dune, you know, having the metal dropped on her and, and you know, all you do is step through the door. Here's another door open in the larger sense that where we now have the ability to introduce uh, new characters in new ways that that turn the, the 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 classic cinematic tropes of Star Wars kind of on their ear. But I also like again, this lends itself to do we think someone's going to show up when he sits on the stone? A live action Bendu makes me just shiver right now. I think I would love to, to, to see something like that. I think the more, and again, this is just the structure of the storytelling and the way that it's been going. My instinct is to lean into like, we're going to get Ezra Bridger is going to come back and he'll factor into it somehow. But I mean, what about other, what about other characters that could potentially, you know, could respond to that. Certainly the most powerful user, uh, as far as we're led to believe that Luke Skywalker is the most powerful force user. Skywalker twins. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that, uh, if anybody were to get a ping off this guy would be 
Jedi, a burgeoning Jedi master, Luke Skywalker, who's yeah. currently uh, occupying himself with rebuilding a Jedi order and therefore looking for force pings in the yeah. universe, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I think he, in the comics, he even acquires a holocron. Okay. The, the holocron that the, it's like a register of force users in the galaxy. And yeah. that's what the, the emperor was using. Oh, to track right, 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 right. And so I think he actually gets in possession of that post return of the Jedi and then is able to cherry pick uh, some children. Yeah. Um, but I think that Ezra Bridger in terms of who's telling the story and who the supporting cast are is a much more astute choice. Yep. We don't have to use de-aging tech. We don't have to replace Mark Hamill. No. We don't have to replace Carrie Fisher. We don't have to invent somebody brand new. We don't yeah. have a live action face for that. It could literally be anybody that just sort of is a good actor and suits the need. I, I strongly feel that it'll be Ezra Bridger that shows up to look for him. I but agree I with you. I think you're going to find you're going to get a, a very similar formula and because yep. it, it's still okay to be formulaic TV and, and still give us these kinds of reveals. Yeah. But I think you will find, I'm still going to stick to the fact that there's a tracking beacon that the child is going to be removed from the possession of the Mandalorian, that they're going to have to operate from a point of defense rather than offense. And yeah. now we have a bigger cavalcade of characters to align ourselves against Moth Gideon. Yeah. And, I think you might see Ahsoka Tano and Bo-Katan in the finale of this episode. Well, this is what I was saying before about getting you the band, Tython. getting the band back together. And, and I think we've made, I think collectively we've made solid arguments for why these characters could come back. Why, why we should see Bo-Katan again, because she's got a vested interest in restoring Mandalore. She needs the dark saber to do it. Now we have a vested interest in seeing, uh, you know, uh, uh, with Thrawn being introduced, we have a vested interest in in Tano, uh, Ahsoka Tano, in whatever resolution needs to happen there. And we had already argued, you know, with Gideon being a, an ISB officer, that there's a play, there's a play to bring back Callus. And if you're going to bring back Callus, why not bring back Zeb and you know, uh, hitherto reunite the the Ghost Crew or what's what's left of the Ghost Crew. And if that culminates in like, I could see that as being like a, uh, like a season finale, like that there's a resolution to Thrawn is finally defeated. Thrawn and or Gideon are all defeated. We get the final resolution. Ezra gets to come home. We know what happens to everybody. And then we don't have to see those characters again. And we can start a, a, a next season anew with something else, a new arc. It's true. I don't know if all those threads are too powerful to, to, to in, tie up. In three episodes, I would say that it is. But I think over the course of, you know, if we don't... Uh, how much resolution do I think we're going to get in three episodes? <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, what's going to happen, if I really had to, to say that, I, st I do think we're on a collision course to get everybody back together. And I'm going to leave it at maybe the the finale is, is the... Confront is a confrontation of sorts between Gideon and Thrawn because that would be a good cliffhanger ending. That's kind of neat. I think maybe you'll get that uh, lightsaber Beskar spear fight that you want. I think so I think, too. Uh, but I, th I think that I strongly feel that the larger threads that have been dangled in this episode, uh, yeah. I think Thrawn and Tython, although plot beats for this, I yep. think they're, they, I think you're going to get, I think you're going to get an Ahsoka Tano show. I know that Dave Filoni's uh, 
attention will be split shortly as they're developing a Bad Batch animated series. Which I am completely... I won't say I'm opposed to it, but I'm not thrilled. I like. I don't know how much you can, more you can tell about. Those I'm not guys. thrilled, and I say that only from the point of they went through the, they went through the motions to to canonize the clones from the Republic Commando video game, which in my mind, that is the original Bad Batch. They were the specialized. You know, we've. I don't mean to go down this this path, but you've already within the canon you've got your frontline troops you've you've already shown us you know a plethora of specialized soldiers culminating with the arc trooper you know rex and wolf and all those guys who are arc troopers advanced recon clones right? right these guys are elite soldiers well you went and you did it a step further and you brought the guys from republic commando in because those because rex couldn't handle a job yeah, it's, it's why yeah, why isn't yeah. why isn't the guy like Scorch and Fixer and the other two guys why are they not they should get more to my way of thinking they yeah. were first they deserve more screen time than the Bad Batch no agreed and then it, with them immediately putting out two of the figures in six inch when a thousand other Clone Wars figures should come first yeah uh, lets me believe that this is just a sell to us. well it's yeah it's got to tie into the marketing somehow. And there's still that. There's still all that dirty, you know, we're loving this, right? We love it. And I know. It almost lets us like put up this like uh, cone of silence around us to pretend <laughs> that, that an evil corporation isn't funding this stuff we love so much. But at the no, end of the of day, not. <laughs> they want our friggin' money. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah. And they're going to get it to bastards. Um, so I had one other thought and and it was sort of like a, you know, when you're, you're, you're going down a particular train of thought and you have that, you know, that, Ooh, shiny thing. And you, you kind of, I'm going to go over here for a minute. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about characters like that could potentially come back in that gray zone now where, where light and dark is now is clearly no longer definitive. And, uh, another character in star Wars lore that didn't get any resolution that I think deserves some and has the potential to show up as a force user. What about Kira from solo? Oh, maybe Kira, Kira left. We, the last time we saw her, she was now the, uh, the overboss of the, uh, the crimson dawn. Mm -hmm. So she's working directly for Darth Maul. Is there a chance that Darth Maul trained her a little bit more than we saw? It's possible. You know, uh, I know that they were they were definitely hoping to get more out of Solo in terms of of longevity before they yeah. switched gears to TV, and I I have heard the rumor of them continuing that story in terms of a of a Lando Calrissian show. Yeah, uh, that would you know, uh, so possibly. I mean, um, we, Star Wars the common is, th- Asa- is Asajj Ventress dead? Dead? canon not sure i'd have to double check on that i thought she just kind of she just kind of like stopped (laughs) there's a novel with her and uh oh forgive me i always quinlan Voss. yes uh, where they they team up it's a young adult novel but they they it's it's post yeah uh clone wars uh, and they team up to do so i I haven't read it i've just read a synopsis i mean as far as star wars is concerned where redemption is this huge the redemption arc, it's a classic Star Wars, right? I mean, it's, you know, redemption for Anakin, redemption for, uh, redemption for Luke, or, you know, and now redemption for, like, it is redemption for Ben. Uh, for ben, the Queen of ben Frozen. Solo. Yes, for the Queen of Frozen. But let's, when you talk about this, 
and, and this is the last point I'm going to make before I, uh, before I wrap it was, um, in this new understanding that we now have with the Ashley and the Bogan, when, uh, it, it to me, it changes, uh, Ben Solo's redemption arc because to me, Ben Solo did not redeem himself and he did not die a Jedi. He died as a middle guy and Ray already is a middle guy. He, uh, Ray just brought him back to the middle. That's an interesting interpretation. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. She, you know, so that, she kills Palpatine. Yeah, she absorbs all the Sith at the same time. Yeah, right. Like the idea was that before she realized she was all the Jedi. Yeah, the the goal was to have Palpatine to for her to kill Palpatine. All the Sith would go into her. That's right, including him. That's and right. He would take over as the dominant force in her consciousness. Right. But she already opened her heart to all the Jedi. So yep. I, I I think that when she like, you know, they don't really focus on it, but when she kills all when she kills Palpatine, yeah. It's exactly what he wanted, but there's a significant thing that happens before that, and that's that she realizes that she's all the Jedi. And yeah. so when she she also becomes all the Sith. Right. Um but also for me moving forward in that uh, with her being the center, it it troubles me in terms of like, uh, we're not going to get the classic good light, dark, like, you know how we talked about early on the, it's the best example that we have of a cut and dry light versus yep. dark. Yep. Um, good versus evil, right versus wrong. That's right. That you, you, know, you could almost, you could almost teach a child morality with it. That's right. Uh, and so that it, it troubles me that we're going to have to invent something as like, and, and this is where the Yuzhan Vong came from. That right? the the over simplification will no bad guy now that we've tamed the Sith, and it's just like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. And we already accept that the Sith and the Jedi are these two moving parts of a yin yang that trade power back and forth. Yeah. For, for hundreds of thousands of years, ostensibly. Well, maybe the gray people are you know even fewer than, you know maybe there's some consequence to staying in the middle. You know where like. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the. Uh, I like man, the idea. My that head is a just higher mora- Like there's the higher morality that plays out by, by the middle, by the Bendu, where he's above what goes on between yeah. light and dark, but yeah. also recognize recognizing that because there needs to be a balance, like the balance is the object. Yeah. I just think it takes away from the, by actually having the universe or the galaxy balanced, the force balanced perfectly. Right. It would be a very boring story to tell because everything would be honky dory all the time. And yeah. we just watch Jedi levitate things and, and feed the poor, which was great. I want that. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but it wouldn't be fun to watch. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much, uh, that's pretty much everything that I, uh, wanted to touch on today. I uh, don't think there's much left for me to talk about. Um, you guys have any closing thoughts before we uh, call it a day? I think you're going to get intercepted on the way to Tython by yeah. the remnant. Yeah. I mean, formulaically, um, it just works with the way the show's been going. Exactly. We have three episodes left. I think you'll, I think you'll see in terms of storytelling beats, I think you'll see the, the Mando take a loss and yeah. I think you'll have to see him, uh, spend an episode recovering from that loss and, or gathering the troops. And then I think you'll see uh, uh, an assault 
on the base, if you will. Yeah. To, uh, they're going to raid the Death Star to recover the child in the finale. Oh, like we've already Second. established, like this episode really, like that downtrodden, he's so sad at the thought of, of leaving the child. What better way to create drama than to have the child abducted and have to pull off a rescue? It's his only kryptonite. Other yeah. than that, he's undefeatable. We've we see he doesn't give a fuck. Right? No, <laughs> he's undefeatable. This the ch losing the child is his kryptonite. Literally green. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Andy, you want to, you got anything to add? That's pretty much the same mindset I'm at right now. Yeah. So best episode ever. Uh, we and we keep saying that too, right? Like it just yes, we do. It keeps, <laughs> yes, but it does. Do. But if you keep giving me more and more every episode, then I am gonna keep coming back to that conclusion, especially Python when it's, it's so big. I can't even believe what could be next. Yeah, Python it, it's so big. It's crazy. I don't think we've had a deeper cut on the show yet, and I would be hard pressed. Like if you're doing that, what's what else are you going to do? Like, can uh -huh. you go bigger than that? How do you top that in a finale that's three episodes away? I know. I'm, just, uh, I'm freaking out. Freaking out. I'm super, super keen to uh, speculate on what the runtimes are going to be in the next three episodes, if they're going to stick to that 35 to 45, or if we're going to get, like, a longer finale or longer episodes leading up to it. They released all the air dates of these yet. Is there going to be a gap between the seventh and eighth episode? I sure hope not. I sure, uh, I guess I haven't looked at the calendar to see when they fall. Um, let me just pull up my calendar here. If they do, if they do do a gap, maybe we should do a, an, uh, <laughs> a, uh, an episode where we just get our feet. <laughs> yeah, really? So we had one yesterday, the 27th. Uh, we'd have an episode on the fourth. And then we'd have the 11th and the 18th, if there's no gap, should be the finale of 18th yeah. of December. That's right. Yeah. So over before Christmas. Yeah. And to me, yeah. I would prefer that. I don't, don't, don't give me a break to, for Christmas. Just give it to oh. me. No. Yeah. 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 So hopefully no, no gaps. Toys. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, gentlemen. Well, that's it for me. And Amazing. uh I, I don't think I could if I keep talking anymore, my head will explode because I'm just so full of like, where is this going? But, um, thanks for sticking with us. I hope you guys are going to come back for the next uh, three episodes. Again, if you guys have got your own theories and your own speculations that you want to bounce off of us, would really would love to entertain those. You can reach out to us through our Facebook page, uh, on our Twitter, and you can get us, um, uh, fandom power three at uh, gmail.com. So love to hear from you guys. And uh, until next week, may the force be with you. And also with you. And this is the way. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>